Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. We wish you a mother Christmas. We wish you a mother Christmas. We wish you a mother Christmas and impeachment next year. We wish you a mother Christmas. We wish you a mother Christmas. We wish you a mother Christmas and impeachment next year. Indictments will come to you and your kin. Indictments for Christmas and impeachment next year. We wish you a Muller Christmas. We wish you a Muller Christmas. We wish you a Muller Christmas and impeachment next year. Indictments will come to you and your kin. Indictments for Christmas and impeachment next year. We wish you a Muller Christmas. We wish you a Muller Christmas. We wish you a Muller Christmas and impeachment next year. Subpoenas galore for all of Trump's men. Indictments for Christmas and impeachment next year. Bring forth the grand juries. Bring forth the grand juries. Now bring forth the grand jury and bring them all year. We know you're in bed with Putin. We know you're in bed with Putin. We know you're in bed with Putin because your treason is clear. Your treason is clear. We wish you a Mother Christmas. We wish you a Mother Christmas. We wish you a Mother Christmas. An impeachment next year. How was that, Natasha? Ah, oh, I'm glad you liked it. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 30th of December, year of our Lord. 2018, our year in review, and that is actual resistance member one of them in the white house singing that silly fucking song it just shows and by the end of this 2019 just gonna be as stupid 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 some upfront stuff where we get in our best ofs and i got over this year i didn't have to do a lot of work you know i used to search articles and get stuff but most of the websites i go to they do the top fives for college and top this and top that and wow it was easy so i have denoted my favorites and i have some sound bites that i'll use for my favorites but all in all this was easy to put together but there's some things that i have to cover up front so what Ed o'brien for christmas said they forgot to include their kids And then, of course, reporters literally compared the Obama Christmas with the Trump Christmas. And to be quite honest, the Trump and Obamas both did pictures without their kids. But she was caught online by Ali Alexander. His tweet, oh, this is hilarious. CNN tried to cut away, but I caught you. What you going to do? What you going to do when I come for you? You are using Talking Points Memo during an interview with a GOP guest about Paul Ryan. Is that keeping them honest, AC360? Want to know why CNN is losing ratings? Take a good look at how Soledad O'Brien interviews liberals versus conservative. Talking point memo emails, and it's true. There's a soundbite. I could play it, but it's true. She used the liberal talking points. So I had to get that in. 
how to get it in. Um, I'm not going to break down all this stuff. I mean, every major media covered the picture and disparaged it and how great the Obamas was. Scott Derrickson, a blue check reporter, post-dinner chat with my NRA supporting AR-15 defending Trump voting ignoramus brother-in-law was all good and friendly until I had to make clear to the redneck asshole motherfucker that he has blood of many children on his hands. That's what Christmas is for, right? So, even though there wasn't a lot of those, you know, how to placemats and all the bullshit, it was still there. I mean, it just was still there. Then, in line with the Obamas, I should have probably put this side by side, every media source carried this tweet. Barack Obama, as 2018 draws to close, I'm continuing the tradition of sharing my year-end list. Gives me a moment to reflect on the year through the books, movies, and music that I found most thought-provoking, inspiring, or just plain loved. I hope you enjoyed it. Everybody did it. Everyone. It was unbelievable. I will guarantee you, if George W. Bush tweeted, they would not carry it. And when Trump's impeached or leaves office, they won't carry anything he does. So I, I just thought that was interesting. WAPO, and this is an interesting one. You got to do some post-Christmas before I move on. Uh, literally, and I hope you don't mind the old ang- uh, anxiety in the background. I had to play a little old anxiety. Um, because of the Me Too, they ran a, a, a story about kids sitting on Santa's lap and whether that's great or not. And I'm not going to read it. I, I just had to say, I mean, my local channel, there was something about Trump and, you know, for the record, his parents didn't care. Saying something along the lines, well, you're seven, you still believe in Santa, line, Santa Claus? Because that's kind of borderline. And the person said yes. And the parents thought it was cute because they were doing the same thing, thinking that their kid wasn't. Well, the media went crazy with it. And my local NBC channel literally ran a uh, thing, when is it right for kids to blah, 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 blah. And everybody nuked him. Like, what the fuck? It's Christmas Eve and this is what you're running? I mean, seriously? Just because you hate Trump? And then a full-page article in the Washington Post about Me Too. It is inappropriate to have parent, you know, kids sit on Santa's lap. But the media wouldn't carry. This whole thing was silly. In fact, Dad, Donald J. Lloyd, this is from an article, 40 who hasn't happened, shares a first name, middle initial with the president, told BuzzFeed News, he BuzzFeed's liberal, so this still works, he would have used similar language with his daughter, and he thinks the remark is being taken out of proportion and unfairly politicized. I think it's crazy it became a big deal. It's Christmas time. I'd love to keep politics out of Christmas. It didn't bother me. I like to talk to my kids like adults. I'm a teacher. I'm okay with the vocabulary, Mom Erica, 40 said. He was very kind. I was very impressed with the phone call. I mean, these are the people that tell us we're supposed to tell kids about drag queens and, and push gayness on them and, and, you know, white privilege and treat them like adults. And last podcast, there was an article, literally, where these people think we should 
let six-year-olds vote because they're more liberal and they help them win elections. I mean, it was such a huge thing over nothing. Nothing. To immigration, which is a huge part of, you know, our life right now, Multiple articles from liberal sources now. Guatemalan migrant father declined medical treatment for sick child before death. But Alyssa Milano and company are still losing it. Um, another tweet. No child dying in custody. Imagine your parent who felt they had to travel a thousand miles to keep a child out of harm's way, and then your child dies in custody of a country who's going to be a salvation. This is a humanitarian crisis. Unbelievably, somebody released this, and it finally came out. I think U.S. Border Patrol is just done. Actually, Alyssa, the deaths of 2,396 migrants from 2009 to 16 during the eight years you said nothing marks the beginning of the most recent Central American crisis. That's how many people have died on these journeys to come here. CNN ran segments this week. There's no proof that anybody's funding it from the Democrats. It's a lie. We already showed Beto was handing gift cards to him. He's on fucking tape talking about it, for Christ's sake. Ryan Savandra, seven migrants that died in U.S. country under Obama. Manuel Cota Domingo, Raul Ernesto Morales, Santiago Sierra Sanchez, Peter George Carlisle, Rockwell Lily Rodriguez, Majori Annabelle Bell, Timoki Kamana Carlos. None of these names appeared in any CNN reports. None. And remember last year's close of business, we were talking about how Trump is the devil because he wouldn't let illegal immigrants have free abortions. Well, now it's Trump's immigration enforcement tactics are fermenting fear, and that's harming the health of Latino parents, children, and even unborn babies. So now they care about unborn babies. They didn't care last year. They wanted those illegals to have PPFA sponsorship and be able to come in here and just kill a baby and go back home because their country's not down with it. Yeah, not this year. And all the while, this week... 33-year-old California police officer Ronil Singh is a person who crossed in the United States illegally. The court was killed by him. He was killed. The criminal Mr. Iraga crossed our border illegally into Arizona some time ago. He's a criminal. He's also known gang affiliation. Officials say of suspect accused of killing Cornell Ronil Singh. Cameron Grain looked at everybody who all these Democrats that fomented this sanctuary policy, none of them other than one, Solwell, sent a tweet of condolence about this guy. And the sheriff rightly said the words that we all know. Of course it's being politicized. The last thing in the world I want to do is politicize the death of Officer Singh. But let's go back to Ron, an immigrant. Immigrated here lawfully and legally to pursue his American dream. He achieved that goal. And his dream was taken from him. No, we shouldn't politicize it, but we have to have a conversation about restrictive legislation that puts our communities at risk. He shouldn't have been here. This keep happening. Polls now this week are showing Latino support for Trump's policy is actually increasing and not decreasing. 
Because now they live here and they realize this is out of control. There's a reason people leave their countries. And it's not political prisonership. It's usually they're very bad people. They're part of gangs. They bring violence from their violent country to our country. But the big thing this week was the trip to Iraq. NBC News started it. Everybody else carried it. Trump becomes first president since 2002 not to visit troops on or before Christmas. Though he called military personnel on Tuesday, Trump did not visit a hospital or a base. Editors note. On Wednesday, NBC News compiled a list of every Christmas time visit to active troops by the president since 2001. That list, as detailed in an article below, showed that former presidents Bush and Obama visited troops on or before Christmas every year since 2003, and Donald Trump did so in 2017. As of the end of Christmas Day 2018, Trump had not visited troops during the holiday season and announced no plans. The article was correct, but on December 26th, the situation changed. Trump and the First Lady made an unannounced visit to troops in Iraq. As a result, the thrust of this article is no longer correct, even if it was at a time. In the interest of transparency, transparency we're keeping the article up so that the record will reflect the situation on the day the article was published and are directing readers to the article about Trump's Iraq visit here. We are also altering one line in the article as well as the headline to be more specific and to note that Trump was the first president since 2002 who did not visit personnel on or before Christmas rather than at Christmas time. They know they're wrong. The moment they released this article, he was landing in Iraq. They're using the dateline to play semantics. So it was Christmas Day in America, but it wasn't Christmas Day there because it landed in the darkness of light. And they won't redraw it because they know idiots, liberals, will to go. they'll still run with us because they did. When called out for it, QZ, a new source that's liberal that I never heard of, Donald Trump has been avoiding war zones for 50 years. From a favor to Freddie Trump to the latest Oval Office address, real Donald Trump has shrunk from military combat. Derek, when called out, this Derek Hunter called her out. Derek, no one has any info about this trip until hours before the story was published. Now the Daily Caller, not QZ, no one. Good to see him finally visiting the troops, though. Happy holidays. Derek Hunter, and then I'm going to ignore the rest of her tweets because she continued to spin that it was still okay because he's Trump. This is what happens when you jump on the narrative train. It's not news. It never was news. It was straight up narrative and it rolled right over the lot of people who saw an opportunity to snark and took it. Perhaps waiting for the actual Christmas time to be over before writing about what happened during Christmas time would be a responsible journalistic approach. Just a thought with all the credibility issues the press has dogging them these days. Your job, your only job is to acquire info, not put out narrative. They didn't see it that way. Ryan Hill, the presidency in the nutshell, dogging him for having a teleconference at four different bases with the troops. All he does is sit on his ass and watch TV. The TV was him talking to the troops. 
Some of you rightly hating on a video call to deploy troops overseas on Christmas time to own the cons. But then this story went to ugly mode. Jennifer Epstein, mega hat contingent at Ramstein waiting for the president. Trump flag. She dropped it after she saw me taking a photo. Sonny Bunch rightly asked, So we move from Trump hates the troop because he didn't visit them on Christmas, part of the news cycle, to let's ruin that one service member's career because she was holding a Trump flag. Do I have this right? Yes, you do. White House says it didn't distribute mega hats Trump signed in Iraq, Germany. This is a CNN article, and I want you to understand, that's not the tweet. The tweet is, service members violated UCMJ by having memorabilia. This article goes into them violating policy because they had stuff, and the president violating the Hatch Act. CNN. Video footage in the written report of Trump's visit with service members in Iraq shows signs of hats and Trump 2020 patch. But troops' requests for the autograph should brush up against Department of Defense guidelines for political activities. And then you know, on the TV, simultaneously these tweets were going out, Jim Acosta to try to ruin a soldier's career. At uh, his Make America Great Again hat, uh, is that unusual to see the president doing that on base? Uh, does this run the risk of the president, you know, facing some accusations that he's turning some of this into a campaign stop? What do you think? Well, you know, this is very interesting. The pool reporters traveling said that the troops brought the hats with them, including one hat that said Trump 2020. We will have to see if that actually proves to be the case. The question is, if they if they brought them or if the president brought them. What commander allowed that to really happen? Because this is very much against military policy and regulation. Troops are not supposed to be involved in political activities. The U.S. military is not a political force. And there's no question uh, the saying Trump 2020 and Make America Great Again, those are political slogans of a Trump campaign. They are not governmental uh Sayings, to put to say the least. Right, and, and John, I, I mean, what would the concern be if something like that is going on? Do you think, or is this just, you know, a soldier is there, he's got a hat in his in his locker, and he runs over and says, "Hey, when am I going to have another chance for the president to sign one of these things?" Yeah, look, I mean, it kind of blurs the line because the the Trump is his slogan, and where's that? Where's that? You know, where's that line? But Barb's right; it is, in fact, a campaign slogan. That is a campaign item, and it's completely inappropriate for the troops to do. Not this. supposed to do it. Not supposed to do this. And I'm sure that their bosses seeing that, they're, they're not going to be happy about it. But look, the president has to take some ownership of this, too. Every time he's around military audiences, he tends to politicize it. And he brings in complaints and grievances from outside the realm of military policy. This was wrong for him to do it as well. I'm going to be really interested to see, Jim, when we get video of his comments to the troops, his actual speech, Al-Assad. Uh, and I hope that he didn't politicize that, those sets of remarks, but we'll have to wait and see. And, and Barb, speaking with the president uh, said over there, the president said today that he's not in any rush to fill... Uh, the job of defense secretary, uh, the position that uh, Mattis... Uh... Every liberal internet lawyer comes rolling out. S- seriously, this is strictly forbidden under UCMJ. Politicking not permitted. Lady and North, get her. Go on, there's a service member's life to be ruined. Don't stop now, you hack. You troops need to shut the fuck up and stop liking someone I hate. Now get back to protecting my freedoms. 
Hey, Barrister Brad, why don't you go over and explain to these USN SEALs they're in violation of DOD? Shows pictures of SEALs with a flag. How fun, the press is not going to unleash Twitter trolls on a soldier to punish wrong think. Ratting out service members to own the press. So cool of you. Tomorrow, Mueller will likely add this to in the incident to his list of potential campaign violations. Most of the left continue to say they were in violation of it. Unfortunately, because they're stupid and they don't know how to use Google, the Reagan Battalion and a bunch of other conservatives start unearthing pictures of candidate Obama, candidates a wife Obama, and then the President of the United States of 2012 at Fort Stewart doing the same thing. Doing the same thing. Getting signatures, autographs. While this is happening, CNN reporter uh, decided to go after the GoFundMe and shut it down. He pushed hard, failed, because they don't want that. They think it's inappropriate. His name's Tony Rom. He does outwork for CSN and CNN. Whole fucking effort to break it. None of the news agencies carried Sarah Sanders sharing touching story about Trump's trip to Iraq. A service member walked up to him and said, I'm here because of you. He went back in the military because there was a real commander-in-chief in his eyes. Somebody he wanted to serve for. Nobody carried it. And then the entire liberal world running off of CNN's He Doesn't Visit, Rob Reiner... Uh, put out another predictable Twitter post about how Trump was just shamed into doing a visit. He lies about the bone spurs, trashes war heroes, and gold star parents, refuses to honor the fallen because it's raining, it's shamed into visiting the troops, then lies to them about getting a raise and reveals location of Navy SEALs. The cowardice, the lies, the stupidity are epic. Mia Farrow, the actress grasps for any flaw in the president's actions, so she nitpicks Trump's speech to the soldiers. She tweeted, would have been important not to trash Democrats in front of our troops who stand ready to fight for Americans. All Americans. You know, Obama did it. It was okay. Farrah also blasted the pictures with the mega hats. It's just awful. Cher ran her suck. Montel, instead of visiting the troops, a real Donald Trump, crashed the stock market, gone to war with Jim Mattis, delivered a nice Christmas gift to Vlad, and presided over an immigration policy that's killed two kids in a week. Milano, Trump becomes the first president since 2002 not to visit troops at Christmas time. Yeah, she never took that down either. Never took any of them. None of these people took it down. Montel's tweet is total bullshit because the reality is stock market's back up. He did visit the troops. It's been proven those kids didn't die because of us. It's his parents. So then... NBC kept theirs up, as I said, but the Washington Post stealth edited it and got attacked by the Wall Street Journal. That's why they edited it and took it out and updated it and did the whole story over not to get caught lying because, you know, democracy dies in the dark or truth dies in my penis. I don't know where the fuck. I just don't know where this shit comes from. It just didn't stop. They wouldn't stop hating. And it sounded like this. This is what 
the whole Iraq trip ended up being because they once again didn't wait, didn't think that these are stealth visits. They don't put them out. It's not out there. He's going to a war zone. Bush, Obama, nobody puts out there doing this trip. They just show up. But they couldn't wait. It was Christmas. They had to get one more bash of Trump. So when it rebounded in their face, they found other reasons to be the liberal activists they are. It really was perplexing when you, uh, watching his message today, and then yesterday, I do have to tell you, I mean, I tried not to because it's with my family. When when we turned on CNN and we saw um, the president politicizing a Christmas message, it was very, it's like, we kept saying, he's like the Grinch. Instead of, I'm being honest. No, he stole Christmas. Instead of being positive with the troops, saying this is about the troops, it's not about me. I'm here to thank you for your service, whatever. Even if reporters ask him questions, this is not about me. This is about the troops. They serve our country well. Maybe he said it's unfortunate that some of them are not getting paid, and I wish they were. We'll come to an agreement, make sure that everyone gets paid. The 42,000 members of the Coast Guard who are not getting paid. So let's, you know, let's be positive about Christmas. Same thing during Christmas, this thing. It was so negative and so, you want you want positivity when it comes to Christmas. It is perplexing. Why would he visit the troops and do that? Well, Don, to be candid, I hope that this trip hope from a, help from a morale perspective. But from a national security perspective, for all the reasons that you just listed, the president should have stayed home. He traveled to Iraq where service members are defending our homeland. They're not protecting another country. They're defending our homeland from ISIS, an enemy that we know has attacked the United States. And he made this about himself. These visits that presidents undertake, I served for a year in Iraq, I helped execute some of President Obama's trips to Afghanistan and Iraq, are about the troops. So the trip marks the president's first visit to a war zone as president and comes less than a week after he ordered a complete withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria. It was his first uh, trip overseas to visit troops in a combat zone. The unannounced trip coming days after Mr. Trump's controversial decision to withdraw forces from Afghanistan and Syria. I'm the First Lady. There are those who have commented on social media about the sunglasses. I will tell you, having been bleary-eyed from some flights before myself, you do what it takes, right? I pass no judgment on that. No judgment on that whatsoever. There's an important step, albeit one that took a long time for him to do. Or after two years in presidency, visiting uh, soldiers uh, in, in Iraq. Uh, this was kind of over the edge. The other thing is over the, the commentary. Do you think, did the president, from what we know, get a good sense of what the situation actually is there on the ground? Well, I don't know how you can after three hours, but that's just me. I, I forgive the sunglasses, by the way. This entire trip we should look at uh, from our perspective when we cover this man is it's just another flash over substance type of thing. Of Everything with this president is staged events. It seems very disingenuous. It seems so contrived and so disingenuous. He should have made it earlier. He only made it because Mattis quit and he had a lot of pressure saying he hadn't gone anywhere. If you put it in the larger context of what's going on, it does seem disingenuous. But we begin with an historic trip today for President Trump, his first ever to a combat zone. The president and first lady paid a surprise visit today to U.S. troops in Iraq. The commander-in-chief had been criticized for not visiting a war zone sooner. In recent days, Mr. Trump has also faced criticism for his plans to withdraw thousands of troops from Syria and Afghanistan. But the president said today he has no such plans for troops in Iraq. Chip Reid has more from the White House. 
President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump received a boisterous welcome as they signed autographs, posed for selfies, and chatted with U.S. troops at Al-Assad Air Base, 100 miles west of Baghdad. It's the first time the president has traveled overseas to visit U.S. troops in a war zone. Critics say it took far too long, especially compared to President Obama, who visited troops in Iraq in his first three months in office. The visit follows the president's stunning announcement last week that he will pull the remaining 2,000 U.S. troops out of Syria. During his remarks today in Iraq, he repeated his claim that ISIS has been defeated. President Trump had come under fire for waiting this long to visit troops in an active war zone. I've had an unbelievable busy schedule and I will be doing it. At this point in his presidency, Barack Obama had visited combat troops in the Middle East and George W. Bush traveled to Iraq just eight months after the 2003 war began. Joining me as well, Mika Oyang, who is vice president of National Security Program for the national think tank Third Way. And I wonder what you think as you see these pictures of the president and the first lady in Iraq. Look, I think it's important that the president goes and visits the troops, but he's doing this backwards. His decision to pull out of Syria and it, when the fight against ISIS is not quite finished, close, but not quite, and then going to visit the troops after that, typically what you would want is a president to go out to visit the troops, see what's going on on the ground, have conversations with his generals, actually meet with the Secretary of Defense instead of slamming the door on him, and then make a decision about what the right thing is to do here. But instead, he's done this all backwards. And in fact, the way that he's done this, even if it is the right decision ultimately, the way that he's done it will cause more chaos in the region because it's a precipitous withdrawal, not coordinated with our allies. When he's putting our allies, the Turks, in grave danger from our NATO ally uh, in Turkey. And I think that what he's going to do here is going to wind up much more chaotic than if he had actually stopped thought about it and made a deliberate plan for what to do in Syria. It is it is just incompetence. Our media is incompetent. They're so enraptured in hating this man, they can't just report news anymore. It's just, it's gone. We're going to do the show a little different. We're going to go into hate tweets next, and then our fire for effect, because it makes sense, will be the review of the year, and oh, it's a good one. So let's get some hate on hate tweet of the day he's bringing out an ugly side of america that we wanted to believe was gone and it's still here and we still got to deal with it and we have to have the conversation we have to have tough conversation we have to talk about the n-word and we have to talk about why uh, white men are so privileged in this country. I completely agree. Uh, and I'll tell you what I think, um, and I've said this a thousand times, we don't need any more evidence. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, did you hear what happened today? Oh, That's did right. you? I mean, is he a racist? Is he not a racist? Okay. I'm telling you, you're having a debate over whether a guy is a racist. <laughs> Chances are that guy's a racist. <laughs> <laughs> So, but that doesn't do any good. Right. It really doesn't do any good. You know, yeah. case closed, no more calls, we have a winner. The humanity that this country has to represent has been refueled by this dumbass. That's right. And because I don't have any answers for this, I keep saying, I think this problem will take care of itself. Now, I don't know what that means, but I think it will take care of itself. You know, 
Don't you somehow yeah, we can't think, continue. I think like as far as like physically, like now it takes people like you speaking out and you know, especially all the young people across the country to say, nah, this ain't right. It's not I don't feel like this. This is not this I don't represent what he represents right. and, and I'm gonna change that. I, I believe that there's gonna get more people, especially young people, uh more active than ever. I think we'll see record-breaking numbers next election. I think we'll break yeah. every record. You guys gotta stop putting Kellyanne on your shows. All she does is lie. If you don't give her a platform, she has nowhere to lie. It's like that old saying, if a tree falls in the woods, how do we get Kellyanne under that tree? I'm not suggesting she gets hurt, just stuck. There's also, of course, Ivanka. She was supposed to be an advocate for women, but it turns out she's about as helpful to women as an empty box of tampons. She's done nothing to satisfy women. So I guess, like father, like daughter. And of course, we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We are graced with Sarah's presence tonight. I have to say, I'm a little starstruck. I love you as Aunt Lydia on The Handmaid's Tale. Mike Pence, if you haven't seen it, you would love it. Every time Sarah steps up to the podium, I get excited because I'm not really sure what we're going to get. You know, a press briefing, a bunch of lies, or divided into softball teams. It's shirts and skins, and this time, don't be such a little bitch, Jim Acosta. I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like, she burns facts, and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. Like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. sure what to call Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, is it Sarah Sanders? Is it Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Is it Cousin Huckabee? Is it Auntie Huckabee Sanders? Like, what's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? Ivanka Trump, who works at the White House, chose to post the second most oblivious tweet we've seen this week. You know, Ivanka, that's a beautiful photo of you and your child, but let me just say, one mother to another, do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless c He listens to you. Put on something tight and low cut and tell your father to f***ing stop it. Tell him it was an Obama thing and see how it goes, okay? We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert De Niro. It's no
Now I'll get to this, my introduction. Now let's cut to the chase. This is about racism. This is pure and simple racism. That's all this is. He's hoping that the people who support him will be ginned up and, 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 and running to the polls to make sure that brown people don't come into America. That's exactly what's going on here. The political people in his, on his team believe that the base of the Republican Party will be more moved by this, by separating brown children and parents, than they will, for instance, by his tax cut. Because that's not what they're selling. They're telling him, no, this is the issue that makes you look strong. Because I hate to repeat what he just said, but this is based on racism, period, as they like to say. That's all this is. They, they don't want more brown people coming into this country and taking their jobs. Immigration is lower than it's ever been. There's no crisis at the border. And it's just an inhumane, unconscionable act that they did by separating children. And I have to tell you, my mother was in Auschwitz. She got separated from her entire family, yeah. lost her entire family. I never thought I would live to see something like that, particularly in this country, ever again in my lifetime. Yeah. yeah. It's hideous. And by the way, as a fellow Jew, I'd like to hear Ivanka speak up. Where is Ivanka? And the next thing that we're talking about, Rob, is indefinite family detention. Yeah. So not letting the children out of the cages, but just putting the families in with them. Yeah, no, no this, is, this, is, this is inhuman. What we're doing in the United States of America is inhuman. And you, you mentioned it a second ago. He launched his campaign basically saying Mexicans are, are rapists, they're murderers. That's what he's still selling. It's the only thing he can sell to that racist base of his. But it didn't begin with the violence against Jewish people. It began with the rhetoric about people being vermin, about people infesting the country, about people being criminals. And you're, that, that rhetoric is pretty consistent. Yeah. And that is one of the things I think that's destabilizing and really frightening a lot of people. They, they follow the exact pattern that Hitler has, I hate to say it, with the propaganda. Even down to the Red Cross went into Auschwitz. They cleaned it up for two days. It looked fine. They went back. They said everything seems fine there. Yeah. You know? And it's the a fascist thing. playbook. And it's shocking that they there are 40%, as you say, or 46%. Yeah. Those people who are supporting what he's doing here are racist, period. It's distressing. And 25% of the country, whether it's 25, 20, 30%, are hardcore racist. They do not want to see brown people coming into America. That's, that's just what's going on here. Also, every single thing that Obama did, he is this man, every yeah. single thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, don't tell me that's not racist. To quote that new book that just came out, he is evil. He is evil. And the thing is, I thought, I'll come in and he won't really know because he's not that smart. He does, you know, he'll just do a showmanship thing. But he's evil. When he was elected, what I wrote on Twitter was, we should impose martial law till we make sure that the Russians weren't involved in the final tallies of the votes. And Bob Mueller has indicted 13 Russians for election meddling. And people were like, martial law, what's wrong with you? You're a lunatic. You're well, he wants to send the military to the border, so. I want to send the military to the White House to get him. Gene. Well, I, I don't think I can top that, one, but that's actually a pretty good idea. Um, I, no, it's, um, it, it, is, it is astonishing um, uh, that we're living through this era, it really is, yes. and, and um, you have to try, I think, to be optimistic that after it ends, we can put the pieces back together. So but when I walked into the makeup so room and I talked to you, you were down for the first time since I've known you. Why? I, 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 you know, at the, 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 um, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi mm. has, has been, um, uh, it's been very sad for the Washington Post newsroom. I, I, I did not know him. A lot of people 
uh, at the Post, especially in my corner of the newsroom, did uh, did know him. Um, uh, have known him for years, and just the, uh, you know, his editor is a good friend of mine. Just the just the, the thought of this this horrific um, torture and murder that that um, it's now clear happened, uh, and to to have the president of the United States um, trying to find a way to ignore it, trying to find a way to just like pretend it didn't happen yes. uh, as opposed to um, and, and you can't have any faith that that really that he's going to do the right thing. And I think he's doing Whatever that the right to, thing is. I'm sorry. He's not going to do it. He's doing that to scare every journalist here who he calls enemy of the people as we all know. He's doing that, right? Here's a guy who was tortured and killed, a journalist who was speaking badly of KSM and he doesn't respond. Why? I'm sure that's his wet dream. To think, what could he possibly do to scare journalists from not printing bad news about him, which is also equivalent to the truth about him. That, of course, is a review of the most hateful things said this year. But there's so much to cover, it's hard not to. Calling this for the root, Twitter ignores this. Fuck Dana Loesch. Hope she dies in a car fire with the windows open so she doesn't pass out for smoke asphyxiation and has to burn slow. That is all. African American. That's on Twitter. It was tweeted December 22nd, and it's not in violation of the term and service. Hmm. That's interesting. We got a top 20 of the most unself aware tweets that we had this year, and they're pretty good. We start with Kathy Griffin. I'm sorry, bitch. I thought I was holding a Halloween mask covering a ketchup. Apparently, I was holding Trump's actual head. News to me. That's her replying when she was called out and subsequently lost her career pretty much for the beheading. Bette Midler, earlier this year, Bette quoted John Legend and didn't bother to mention it was his quote and spent days being called a racist. It was pretty damn funny. Trump tweets, I am all alone. There is no one here beside me and my problems have all gone. There is no one to deride me, but you got to have friends. The feeling's oh so strong. And you got to have friends to make that day last long. Wasn't her tweet. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, Senator Dianne Feinstein. Dr. Blasey Ford requested Republicans has been modest in the face of death threats and harassment. Why won't Republicans agree to hear from her? President Donald Trump, Dr. Blasey Ford, did not want her story of sexual assault to be published. She requested confidentiality. I honored that. As it wasn't until the media outed her that she decided to come forward. You may not respect women and the wishes of victims, but I do. And then we find out she's the one that gave up the name. Cory Booker. Going to have to check that out. I am not Spartacus. The Spartan in Vernon, New Jersey. I'll see you next year. Remember when Cory Booker pretended he was releasing documents? He wasn't supposed to, even though he learned quite quickly that said documents had been given that all clear for public to see? Yeah, that's that's one of his. David Hogg. David made a name for himself for exploiting the deaths of classmates and blaming the NRA for a tragic shooting. This is a weak, weak attempt to stay relevant. This 17-year-old kid says to Sarah Palin. David Hogg accuses hero stop Texas church shooter of lying. Hmm. Soledad O'Brien used to pretty cool and sharp, but then she got caught in TDS, and the rest is history. She likely wouldn't have been in this list if she hadn't spent Christmas Day pretending people were able to shame Trump into visiting the troops. Shaming him seems to work. 
Brett Humes replied to her, by the time this was posted, the President and Ms. Trump were in Iraq with the troops. To Alyssa Milano. She's the one that started the, well, we shamed him to go when that had to be planned weeks in advance. Anybody with an IQ above a potato, which she does, knows that. These trips don't happen overnight. So nothing you posted or Bette Midler or Alyssa Milano or Democrats made the president get on a plane and go to Iraq. It was already in the books. Crastestine Brothers. I'm not going to read this one because I fucking hate the Crastestine Brothers. I just hate them. It's just horrible. It's just rude. It's just terrible. Ron Perlman. Not going to read that one. Remember, talking about his kid. Montel Williams. Not going to cover that. Representative Solwell. Good old Solwell, the guy who said he nuke Americans who didn't turn over their legally owned firearms and claimed he was joking. He also wants to run for president, and this isn't what a lack of self-awareness looks like. We sure don't know what it is. Solwell's tweet, while this should end the faux outrage for gun groups, Snopes, debunks David Caller, and others who claim I made serious threat to nuke gun owners. Let's move on to the what really matters, ensuring our rights to be safe and paramount, but he did Say it. Tom Arnold. What I said, the NRA members shoot themselves 80 times. Get your facts straight. We covered that last time. Max Boot, Bill Crystal, Tom Nichols, Rick Wilson, and Jennifer Rubin. This one makes us the saddest because these folks used to be people we turn to for inform and educate ta- educated takes. But unfortunately, when Trump won, it sort of broke them. Jennifer Rubin. In short... Trump in 2019 will either muddle through another year of chaotic presidency or wear out his welcome among Republicans who finally recognize they can save him or themselves, but not both. Hillary Clinton. We're not sure there is any one person who has less self-awareness than Hillary, but we knew something. We knew putting her at number one would only feed her ego. Hillary Clinton about Syria. We just read it. Actions have consequences. Oh, really? You sure they do. Schumer and Pelosi. Pelosi on Chris or Schumer on Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve and President Trump is plunging the country in chaos. The stock market is tanking and the president is waging a personal war on the Federal Reserve after he got just fired the Secretary of Defense. Mike Tokes. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer just posted the same tweet. You know when you put that out there, everybody knows it's a talking point, right? The Obamas, his closing year one. Jim Acosta, we are not the enemy of the people. I'm not your enemy. You are the, my, not my enemy. It is wrong to call your fellow Americans the enemy. We're on the same team. We're all Americans. Yeah, no. Camelia Harris, talking about the kids and lying. Michael Avanti, found to be a total liar and abuser of women. Alexander Acasia, we talk about her every week. And Alyssa Milano. This is why the corrupt NRA put in over a million dollars to get Kavanaugh confirmed. And just another reason, we must stop Kavanaugh. Life before the accusation against, long before the accusation against Kavanaugh, he was a bad, he was bad for a Supreme Court. His writings, rulings indicate he's anti-LGBT, LGBT, ACA, women's reproductive freedoms, immigrants. It seems he is for, for, all he is for is guns. That's why the NRA has spent millions to get him confirmed. Then she went after Dana. Dana, there's a big difference between NRA members and the gun lobby. That is the NRA. Your members believe in universal background checks to make the country safer. The gun lobby, NRA, buys elections with rubles. 
Why is she dogged for that? Because, let's just break it down, folks. The NRA is the NRA. They don't buy shit with rubles. They have nothing to do with elections. And their input into our election, as we've proven on the show about 10,000 times, is a tenth of what PPFA pays for their candidates. A tenth. They put in hundreds of millions since I started podcasting. And our year tweet of the day, of all things, of all things, was just this week. I could not put this as the tweet of the year. I, I just think it's fantastic. You know, our Republicans in the White House, if POTUS pays a surprise Christmas time visit to our troops in Iraq, the start market breaks a single day record, but the big news is gossip about a 1968 foot exam. That's what they flipped off after getting caught pushing a narrative. Yeah, a narrative. So, that's our tweet of the year. We're going to do a music break, little New Year's stuff, and we're going to go into our review of The Ugly, which was our media, in 2018. Just the same What are you doing New Year New Year's Eve Wonder whose arms Will hold you Good and tight When it's exactly Twelve o'clock that night Welcoming in the new year
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. Somebody's gonna make a happy trip tonight while the moon is bright. He's gonna have a bag of crazy toys to give the corners of the girls and boys so day. Santa comes on day. And my teachers worth your blood money. Uh, let's let's move on to the to the next question. Um, Excuse me. I'm a student. I should have. I know. I understand that. But your question. Wait, I thought you were going to ask Senator Nelson a question. Your your question sounds like you wanted to ask Dana Lash a question in the next segment, and I'm happy to do that if you want. Kids or guns? What do you value more? Never done. Stop that going back to your talking point, sir. On any Stop, issue, sir. On. Sir, why is the Glock? federally regulated and a semi-automatic weapon which we've seen in these circumstances and i'm sorry i'm getting angry about this who will be these domestic terrorists enablers what are they afraid of marco rubio he's had a lot of nonsense uh, that's come out in the weeks since the shootings and the state of florida better get with it and pass this assault so um, ban. Uh, i hear you and absolutely connecticut can be a role model for what they did after newtown to them the nra is like the kkk it's just some hostile force and he is the one that tried to get this assault rifle ban bill put up for a vote. Thanks for your effort. What happened? This uh, line that guns are essential to American liberties, hard one to stomach when so many thousands of people are dying every year for this uh, for this uh, so-called uh, 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 liberty. I agree with you. A so-called 
uh, uh, right. Since the shooting, the president has barely uttered the word gun or guns at all. Yeah. And much less gun control. We haven't heard that. Ken makes a good point in talking about, listen, let's have an open mind and let's have a full conversation. And I am actually glad that... An open mind, though, Van, doesn't mean being stupid. Come on, let's let's be honest. Marco Rubio. You don't have to step up and be a man. Step up and be a human. There's a kind of toxic masculinity at the heart of this gun, this gun culture, rooted in a myth about who we take ourselves to be. America's rugged individualism. The government is not going to protect you. We can protect ourselves. You must be some kind of lousy loser hunter if you need an AR-15. But I strongly suspect that I am counted in the secret records of the NRA as a member. But there's so many different tracks to this because you have to get the guns that are out there back in. And they're, you know, millions. And And they work. I will say you can do buyback programs. None would come on this morning. You would, but you're on the right side of this argument. Perspective, you were there. Uh, How controlling was the network? How controlling were the producers and the team around that in terms of who's on the stage? Who gets to say what? How scripted? was that town hall the the questions were chosen in advance uh, that was obvious because they were able to hand the microphone to the next person that was going to speak or ask a question I think at one point it got a little messed up because uh, one of the young men asked uh, Dana a question when she wasn't even on stage yet <laughs> uh, which I, I, I thought was uh, a little odd and you know how much control did they have? I think once the emotions ran over, they had zero control. Yeah, but they had set the table. They, they, already, set the they table. already set it up. Uh, that's true. And I, I will say I had to, you know, have you ever seen the Watchmen movie when uh, Rorschach gets locked into the cage and the other criminals come up and they're like, finally, we're going to get you. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. <laughs> that's the way I kind of felt. Uh, when they invited Dana to come down there last night because she brought the truth and it stunned them and it shook them. Uh, I want to add one thing. While we're, you know, really feeling our, ourselves and, and pushing uh, conservative narrative by telling the truth, yeah. we have to make sure that we don't become fake news. And our right. friend Andrew Breitbart yes. would have been ashamed at some of the things that people who purport to be on our side have been pulling I think it's important that we are better than the fake news That's in right. the back. That's right. We have to be more factual. Especially we always have to be above the board. Yeah. When you have a... I want to make this super obvious point. The government has proven that they cannot keep you safe. And yet, some people want all of us to disarm. You heard that town hall last night. They cheered the confiscation of firearms. And it was over 5,000 people. I had to have a security detail to get out. I wouldn't have been able to exit that if I did not have a private security detail. There were people rushing the stage and screaming, burn her. And I came there to talk solutions, and I still am going to continue that conversation on solutions, as the NRA has been doing for before I was alive. But the government can't keep you safe, and some people want us to give up our firearms and rely solely upon the protection of the same government that's already failed us numerous times to keep us safe. And then they also call Trump a tyrant, but then say that they want the president to also confiscate our firearms. Try to figure that one out. It's not big on these end-of-year countdowns by the pros, but that, to me, was the worst thing that happened in 2018. 
that that was a news organization allowing children to demean adults and the treatment of Dana Loesch all year long is really the epitome of where we've come from 16 to 17, 17 to 18. Liberals are empowered to talk to women who do not believe like they do that they're horrible human beings. Just horrible. And he used to be MSNBC. Anybody who followed this podcast, back in the day I was on MSNBC like white on rice and a paper plate in a snowstorm. I mean, they were fucked up. You can't even get past CNN. I mean, most of my shows are about CNN. Because they're so horrible. And we start our year in review with how brazenly inappropriate they are just on Chirons. Here's one. Trump has no plans to claim any personal responsibility for inciting serial bomber. That's an actual Chiron about the President of the United States. These were the same people for eight years that said, if you said anything about Obama, not only were you a racist, but you were disrespecting the office of the President of the United States. It's not about the man. It is the office they just chucked that yoke manhunt for serial bomber going after trump's targets with apostrophe s not people who align with trump trump's targets trump lectures critics and media but ignores his own rhetoric these are chirons Three different days of three different manhunt for serial bomber going after Trump's apostrophe S targets. Then there's a picture of 10-11 in Helsinki, Finland, which was a day that were living in for me for CNN who lost their mind over it. Coming up, outrage. That's a Chiron, just outrage. Then we go through the Kavanaugh, Ludington, Kavanaugh threw ice at a man during a bar fight. Yeah. Then they started with their fact check thing to the side. Exclusive 10 to snarking fact check checks. White House, Trump has been tougher on Russia in one year than Obama was in eight. No, he hasn't. White House, it's clear Russia meddling had no impact. No, it's not. White House repeats Trump's false claim that he's tougher on Russia than Obama. John Noonan, respectfully, CNN, please tell your producer not to do this. You can't anoint yourself arbiter of these debates. Strikes on Russian-backed forces in Syria, lethal assists to Ukraine, reforming NATO armor, airborne forces, military intel increases, all tougher on Putin than last admin, which is true. White House denies Trump was mocking Kavanaugh accuser after Trump mocks Kavanaugh accuser. Then you have fill in the blank CNN Chiron form. Trump says something, tweets, CNN offers no proof. An example, Trump claims 500 caravan members are criminals, offers no proof. Chris Hoke, this Chiron on the CNN lead with fill in host Jim Scudo is a lie. Fake news. 
And it starts with their people. Just for Chris Cuomo, which I'll play a soundbite. Cuomo suggests Trump refused to lower flags because he hates the press. July 3rd, Cuomo dipped into some conspiracy theories. It wouldn't be his last. And suggested the reason President Trump refused to order flags lowered to half-staff after the tragic Capitol Gazette shooting was because he hated the press. And yes, Trump did say that he respects journalists after mass murder, but why would you believe that? Why would you believe he's not lying again? I don't have time to play all the attacks on the media. You know the truth. And now you know even if they get murdered, the president won't respect the media appropriately. Since when do we lower flags for the media? Maybe Obama did that. It's usually a state figure. Indignant Como claims Trump hates America, wishes ill on media. After Trump sent out yet another tweet criticizing the media, Cuomo set aside time at the end of his July 20th show to lash with the president. This is ugly and it's unoriginal. But more impo- most importantly, it's an admission that you hate your country, he declared. On top of that, he seemed to suggest it meant Trump wanted media folks hurt. How so? Here's the case. You know this phrase was an operative threat to murder opposition to French Revolution, right? You know Khrushchev's identity identified the phrase as part of a campaign to annihilate individuals literally? Who disagreed with Supreme Leader? His predecessor, Stalin, blah, 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 blah. CNN Cuomo lectures conservatives on what it means to be pro-life. The smart part is squaring the logic of being pro-life. If you believe you don't mess with life in one area, you don't mess with it, period. It's logical, and it plays to an inconsistency that we see here in America, he opined. Many who call themselves pro-life are also pro-death penalty. Cuomo justifies Antifa violence, saying left has morality on their side. Then he denied all this. But I argue you tonight, all punches are not equal morally. Now, how you fight matters, too. There's no question about that. But drawing a moral equivalency between those espousing hate and those fighting it, because they both resort to violence, emboldens hate, legitimizes hate, belief, and elevates what should be stamped out. But the next right night, he scolded Trump for the words he used. Words equal bad, violence equals good. It's no wonder he's no longer a practicing lawyer. He denied all of that. He denied he ever did any of that stuff. I never said it was okay. But he did. Just for a second, I'm going to pour myself some coffee. Santa hooked me up this year. I I didn't want to start my show about what Santa brought me, but as you're listening, my wife got me a French press coffee pot. Now, with my incredible GERD, which heartburn has just been terrible over the years, prompted worse by the CPAP, I don't drink coffee until the afternoon. Then Santa got me a $150 fishing pole. I don't even know how to use the damn thing. It's an eight-gear reel, and it's a speed stick by Luz. Oh, my God, it's so nice. But popcorn popper, a kick-ass new crockpot, because I love using crockpots. I, I got hooked up. My sister and Jen in Colorado got me some beautiful books and a lure I used, which made me cry almost. Well, okay, I cried. It was sweet. Um, I got a really good Christmas, so that's I had to pour some of my French press because I'm tired. I went out fishing this morning, got cold, now hot. It's like one of those, got to go sleepy. Enough of my babbling. Cuomo prefers Obama to Trump. America at her best leads with her heart, not her hate. This was September 9th. 
Trump can't get to 50% this way. Despite a historic economy and list of achievement a mile long by his own reckoning rallies with the thousands, his problem, thousands ain't millions. He cannot get the majority of you to be with him, not in an election and not now. Obama was at 60% on the way out. His highest was 70. His lowest around where Trump is at his best in the main. Why? I argue a bigger notion than numbers. Nature. nature. Americans at her best by her nature leads with her heart, not her hate. Yet each week I tell you he's at the same place he was. All presidents are high except for Bush. After eight years of Bush and the media treating, giving him the Trump treatment, what the fuck do you expect? After 80 years of Obama, I thought the man was going to sprout wings and fly to heaven. He was the, Obama was a god. CNN raging Cuomo lashes out, smears Kavanaugh's lies about him. CNN Cuomo bitterly demands Kavanaugh not be presumed innocent. Conspiracy Cuomo speculates on Trump's financial dealings to Saudi. Cuomo suggests the U.S. military would gun down caravan migrants. Rick, if you put military down there, we know what the God forbid, forbid, forbid is in this situation. And then how does it play? How is that good for anybody? Because you're not going to turn away thousands and thousands of people if people start getting shot. And the message does that send. Who wins? Cuomo blames Trump for dysfunctional VA. Does nothing for vets, he says. What did Obama do? Cuomo, U.S. celebrating Thanksgiving in a time of illness, depredation, like the pilgrims. Yeah. Let's listen to Chris Cuomo, who's supposed to be a journalist, but his dad's the governor of New York. All right, here's my closing argument. This tweet was bad for you, Mr. President. Here it is. The summit with Russia was a great success. Nobody thinks that. Except with the real enemy of the people, the fake news media. This is ugly and it is unoriginal. But most importantly, it is an admission that you hate your country. How so? Here's the case. You know this phrase was an operative threat to murder opposition in the French Revolution, right? You know Khrushchev identified the phrase as part of a campaign to annihilate individuals, literally, who disagreed with the supreme leader. His predecessor, Stalin, used it specifically with artists and thinkers that threatened his narrow views of humanity. Did you know that Mao used it during his murderous campaigns? America, the country you lead, was formed in defiance of strongmen, bullies, and the idea that might makes right. A free press is a metaphor for what makes America great. So you have now admitted that you are against what we are all about. And the real problem now is for you to convince people that you don't hate what makes America truly great. I know in the past you've tried to play that you respect the media and that you know we're important. You know, like you said that when a bunch of us got murdered. But it didn't take long to come back to this. I knew you didn't lower those flags after the Maryland newspaper shooting right away for a reason. Just like you won't really own how Russia did the U.S. dirty in the election. Why? Because you see things through the lens of what is good for you in these matters. So right now, you want people to hate us. But as the old expression goes, you point a finger at someone else. And there are three pointing back at you and a thumb that's kind of nowhere depending on where you put it. But that's not the point. The point is, to say Putin isn't the enemy, the free press is, doesn't worry me. I know the truth. I've traveled the world and I know our media is envied. And perhaps the best check 
against the abuse of power that can lead to a Stalin or a Mao. The real worry should be for you. Do you really think the people will keep a president who hates what their country is all about? Only a couple of dozen showed up. Proof they lost membership after being exposed again last year as a bunch of hateful losers? No. They're still in force online, but they didn't have the guts to show up, and that's good. Counter-protesters did. There were good numbers of them. The vast majority were peaceful. But peppered in the crowd were members of Antifa, or anti-fascists. They covered their faces, confronted police, and berated journalists. And that was wrong. Now, you've been hearing it. There's a lot of whataboutism and spin going on, and it's kind of sickening to me. So let's all agree on some common understandings. A protester uses their voice. Song, slang, slurs, there's a huge range, but it is talk. When you use your hands in a violent way, you are a rioter. And unless you're justified in defending yourself and you hit someone, you're a thug, you're a criminal. You attack cops, you slap the media, you're in the wrong, period. But I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal morally. In the eyes of the law, yes. But in the eyes of good and evil, here's the argument. If you're a punk who comes to start trouble in a mask and hurt people, you're not about any virtuous cause. You're just somebody who's going to be held to the standard of doing something wrong. But when someone comes to call out bigots and it gets hot, even physical, are they equally wrong as the bigot they are fighting? I argue no. Fighting against hate matters. Now, how you fight matters, too. There's no question about that. But drawing a moral equivalency between those espousing hate and those fighting it because they both resort to violence emboldens hate, legitimizes hateful belief, and elevates what should be stamped. Now, look, I don't know who wrote it, but the presumption of innocence is a valued, valued construct in a court of law. We were not in a court of law. This was a kangaroo court. You know, this was politicians fighting over a position on the Supreme Court. So proven innocent, the president says. This is a perfect time for Mark Twain's, quote, lies, damn lies, and then you have statistics. It is a lie to say that the presumption applied here because, like I just said, we're not in a court. And Trump knew that this was going to be a political measure. So it's a lie. It's a damn lie to say that he was found innocent. We certainly don't know to any certainty that Kavanaugh was blameless on all fronts. And then there are statistics, which takes us to Trump's latest statement about crime in Chicago. Stop and frisk. It works, and it was meant for problems like Chicago. It was meant for it. Stop and frisk. Again, I don't know who wrote it, but... Stop and frisk runs counter to innocent until proven guilty. Nothing in there is journalism. And I could have done every one of these guys, but I'm just going to do C2 from CNN. Just two. Jim Acosta. Acosta, it will take dead journalists on the highway to shake off the Trump spell. Situation room, January 11th. Costa declared that Trump's comments bolstered the argument that he's a racist by injecting a lot of poison in the debate over immigration. The president seems to harbor racist feelings about people of color from around the world. 
Acosta pushes fear. Parents are worried. Arming teachers will make schools a new Wild West. Media superhero Acosta, Ryan insults people's intelligence, insists they're not playing to cameras. Costa also told Entertainment Magazine the White House should be forced to take a hard look in the mirror if and when journalists is hurt because of rhetoric coming from the President of the United States, as that will signal that we have suddenly become something less than the United States. Sanders torpedoes Acosta for his unnecessary tone in the press briefing. I'm finished with you. That was one of my favorite sound bites of the year. Go home, fake news, Jim. Acosta gets heckled at summer Trump rallies. We played that on the show. CNN, Jim Acosta defends his antics. I'll be shouting at the devil, he said. We weren't in America anymore with Trump supporters heckling him. Jim Acosta suggests reporters make a bumper sticker, buttons to protect outside White House. Two days after his feelings were heard at Trump rally, Acosta responded to his August 2nd briefing room brawl with Sanders by suggesting a CNN newsroom that he t- he's tired of this un-American rhetoric from the administration of criticizing the press. But just how upset was our friend Jim? Well, he even quipped that the press corps should make some bumper stickers and buttons so they can hold a protest outside the White House. Ah, so you're equating yourself to the far left, Jim? Acosta lashes out at Trump, blames conservative media for false portrayal of him. And then lastly, this is war. CNN hero Acosta fights with Trump, loses press pass. A judge overrules it, but he's on the back burner right now. Here's the best of Acosta, which is the worst. First, let's go straight to our chief White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. He's in West Columbia, South Carolina right now. Uh, Jim, the president's hard line on immigration appears to be getting harder. That's right, Wolf. Uh, President Trump will be campaigning here in South Carolina later on this evening. It is no secret he is going to hammer the issue of immigration right up until the midterm elections coming up this fall. And even with families being separated with their children at the border, the president believes this issue is a winner for the Republican Party. Now, one sign of just how far these separated children have been removed from their parents. Consider where we are in South Carolina, Wolf. There are a handful of those separated children who are being cared for in foster homes in this state more than a 1,000 miles away. Of course, President Trump will be here later on tonight campaigning uh, for the man who wants to be the governor of South Carolina for another four years. That is Henry McMaster. And as you can hear behind me, Wolf, the crowd is very fired up. We have about a couple thousand people in this room so far. Uh, They are uh, letting the press corps here know exactly how they feel about what we're doing here, Wolf. All right, Jim Acosta on the scene for us. Thank you very much. I'll let it go. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Mr. President. I wanted to challenge you on on one of the statements that you made in the tail end of the campaign uh, in in the midterms. Here here we go. Well, if you don't mind, Mr. President, that this caravan was an invasion. As you know, Mr. President, President, the caravan was not an invasion. It's a it's a a group of migrants moving up from Central America towards the border with the U.S. Thank you for telling me. why, Why did you why did you characterize it as such? Uh, because I consider it an invasion. You and I have a difference of opinion. But do you think that you demonized immigrants in not this election no, not to try I to want keep... Them, I want them to come into the country, but they have to come in legally. You know, they have to come in, Jim, through a process. I want it to be a process. And I want people to come in, and we need right. the people. Your, you know, campaign, wait, your campaign... Wait, wait. 
You know why we need the people, don't you? Yeah. Because we have hundreds of companies moving in. We need the people. Right. But your campaign had an ad showing migrants climbing over walls and well, so on. Well, that's true. It poured, it, but they it, weren't actors. They're not going to be doing they that. They weren't actors. Well, no, it's true. Do you think they were actors? They weren't actors. They didn't come from Hollywood. Right. <laughs> these, were, these were people. This was an actual, you know, it happened a few days ago. And, uh, They're hundreds of miles away, though. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles you know away. That, that's I not an invasion. Should, honestly, uh, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let me would be ask, much if better. I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question. Mr. President, if I may, if I may uh, ask Peter, one other question, are you worried? Of, that's enough. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, well, that's I was enough. going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask, on the Russia investigation. Are you concerned that... That you may have I'm not concerned about anything with the Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, That's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President. I'll tell you what. CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. Go ahead. I, I think that's unfair. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter. Go in, ahead. In Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts well, his Well, I'm not a big fan of, of yours either, so, I understand. Know, to be honest. So let, me, so let me ask you a question if I can. You repeatedly you said... Are, you are the best. Mr. President, you repeatedly, over the course okay, of... Okay, just sit down, please. Well, when you, when you report fake news, no... When you report fake news, which CNN does a lot, you are the enemy of the people. Go ahead. Mr. President. But it wasn't just CNN. This year, compared to 2017, 16, 15, all the time through Obama, it was kind of veiled, we hate conservatives. Trump has brought the worst out of the media. They used to be like Tom Brokaw, and at least have a moniker of objectivity. They no longer do that because he emboldens them, theoretically, with his tweets. And, you know, saying the media is the enemy. I mean, he, he incites them. But instead of being professional, they just don't be professional. Um, I gleaned some of the worst we've played on here that is just hating conservatives. And then I'm going to play what was aired today on Meet the Press. So you'll hear a little break. And when you hear that break, that is what we played and what just happened today on Meet the Press. What's interesting is that she said that um, Jesus tells Mike Pence things to say. Um, when was she around I mean, Mike Pence, though? Well, because obviously she was around him because she, she knows more, uh, a lot more than I think that, that we all know about Mike Pence. But I, what I do know about Mike Pence is I went to law school in Indiana. He is a hated figure there, actually. He's not very popular at all. And I think when you have a Mike Pence that now sort of puts this religious veneer on things and calls people values voters, I think we're in a dangerous situation. Look, I'm Catholic. I, I'm a faithful person. But I don't know that I want my vice president, um, you well, know, speaking in tongues and having Jesus saying, speak like to Like I him. said before, I don't know if I want it's that. It's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. Exactly. Okay, well, that's different. That's different. That's called mental illness, if I'm not correct. But no, I, I 
I'm hearing voices. How is the Trump administration a values-driven administration? I mean, we have talking about being values in a lot of times. It's I don't, in reference to being pro-life, I don't which see I assume those, you said you were see, at one point I don't point see time the values in that administration with Rob Porter beating, beating. In the political term of what it means is being valuing life. That is a it is a old term that's been used in politics. No, Megan, that's not true. Trump Values-driven means not only being pro-life, it means being pro-marriage, um, uh, it means being pro-having good pro values, it means pro-compassion, pro pro-empathy, you know exactly, pro-empathy. So many things it's that go into It's not only about uh, pro-life, and the bottom line is, this administration is not a values-driven administration. You have it's too early. people so beating each other's wives. Because I think that, I think that, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound disrespectful, but I understand, if you're a liberal, obviously you have certain problems with Mike Pence, obviously. Like, we, we see the world through very different veneers, but I think sort of Why am sitting I around... I just assumed you were because that's you, not a great assumption. Say, but there were to soon. Okay. <laughs> well, there's, there's very few you things you've said on this show that show me. I apologize. You are conservative. I guess I don't. I don't. You know what? She's I'm, just not, I'm not in this fight today. Who will be these domestic terrorists enablers? Who are going to be the useful idiots in the media, on websites, and on Capitol Hill that will make excuses for the gun lobby? Who are going to be the useful idiots that are going to make excuses? Who will be the useful idiots that will continue to do the gun lobby's business? Who will be the useful idiots that will promote agenda that's not about gun rights and not about gun safety, but instead is just about the bloody bottom line? What Republicans cower in the corner on Capitol Hill today and what useful idiots in the media go out and trot out their same tired excuses. Senator Ruby, who would not have been welcome at this table this morning? No. By your standards, correct? That's correct. Yeah. But uh, we welcome him anytime he would like to talk about the actual issue. policy and issues. For the nation to move on, the president must move out. You know who said that? Who? Vice President Mike Pence <laughs> wrote it in the 90s about Bill Clinton. <laughs> now he is apparently immune to hypocrisy. But what does that tell you about what you're up against? That was then, this is now. We're up against tribalism. We're up against people who will lie still and cheat, lie to their own mother, lie to themselves about what's right for this country, about truth and about facts, that they will ignore any misgiving, any terrible deed, any awful saying, they will just ignore it for their own political purpose. They will ignore the bigotry and the pettiness and the childishness about, about what Donald Trump said about me and LeBron James and others just because they want to ha gain some sort of political clout or they want a few more dollars in tax money. At what cost? Listen, I, I, you know, Chris, we don't take this lightly. When, when this president, when this man was on the campaign trail, we tried every, with every bone in our being to be objective and to report on him uh, in a fair, equitable manner. And then when he became president of the United States, the same thing. It always gets me when people say, well, there's 90%, this study shows that 90% of the reports about this president are negative. But they don't talk about the things that come out of his mouth and the policies that he proposes and what he does and says to people. How, how are we as media to report positively on something that's negative? The president called countries asshole countries. Oh, well, that's great. He should be calling. We don't do that. 
You don't call countries asshole countries. You don't do things like that. You don't talk about people um, in the way that this president does, at least if you're a president of the United States, you're not supposed to. So that whole thing about the, the media is biased and that 90 percent of what we report about Donald Trump is negative. If that is indeed true, then you need to counterbalance that and weigh it against what comes out of this president's mouth and what he is. But we're not going to let these people go through life unscathed. Sarah Huckabee has no right to live a life of no fuss, no muss after lying to the press, after inciting against the press. These people should be made uncomfortable. And I think that's a life sentence. I agree with you. There's never been a more single-minded politician than Paul Ryan. He cares only about eviscerating the social safety net, repealing the 20th century, all of the New Deal, the Great Society wants all that gone. And it is true. He is pathetic. I'm betting on the Republicans to be Republicans, Joy. Yeah, they will. The Republicans will <laughs> anyway, fall in line. As you said, they're the North you. Korean For army what? marching behind the dear leader. <laughs> <I know>. Every <laughs> time I see those pictures of that uniformity and regimentation, yes. I think of the Republican caucus and the Senate. This morning, we're going to do something that we don't often get to do, dive in on one topic. It's obviously extraordinarily difficult to do this, as the end of this year has proven in the era of Trump. But we're going to take an in-depth look, uh, regardless of that, at a literally earth-changing subject that doesn't get talked about this thoroughly on television news, at least, climate change. But just as important as what we are going to do this hour is what we're not going to do. We're not going to debate climate change, the existence of it. The earth is getting hotter and human activity is a major cause, period. We're not going to give time to climate deniers. The science is settled, even if political opinion is not. Now, if the media is not the enemy of a political party, their objective, also within that Chuck Todd statement, when could you just say in the era of Obama, Obama, when, when could you say that? You had to say president or else you were a racist. I mean, that man this week said there was more bias in the 60s. We fixed it. It's Roger Ailes' fault. Roger Ailes used a way to uh, manipulate people and make them believe there's bias in the media. You just had a show where you allowed no opposing views. The science is settled. It's all politics. Well, no, the science isn't settled. Just in my lifetime, you were talking about global cooling. Then you were calling it global warming. And when the data wouldn't stack up or the data was found to be falsified, which was the case, because they weren't taking all readings that didn't fit their agenda, you changed it to climate change. Every day on my TV, it's ice is melting at the highest rate. But then you see actual scientific data that shows last year was the greatest growth of ice they'd ever recorded. And you can only come up with a a six-tenths of a degree raise in temperature, mean temperature, over the last 60 years. I've said on the show, there is climate change. Patterns have changed. I'm not saying there isn't problems with the planet. But you people in my lifetime have talked about the end of day. I'm supposed to be dead right now if I listen to Al Gore. I'm dead. I do not exist. I'm dead. I'm a dead man. My sister is dead. 
the coast don't exist. I can't go to Pensacola Beach anymore. It's underwater. That's what you said. But how can you do that if you don't have objective bias? And why do I say it that way? You are purposely biased, Chuck Todd. You did a show that was perfectly biased. No opposing views, no discussion. And the only reason why I'm putting it out is that anybody who actually watches Meet the Press, there is no opposing views. This is the first time he's so embrazened, he's just so brazen, that he literally just said, we're not doing it. When before he pretends he's doing it. But he doesn't bring Hugh Hewitt on anymore. He doesn't bring any right-wing guys. It's all liberals. He brings Schultz over, who, or whatever that fucking guy is. He, he was Mitt Romney's campaign manager. I mean, within my used to watch these shows, while I have podcast, that idiot over there, Nicole Wallace, was the conservative you brought on. And then the other idiot. And you have turned them into liberals. Nicole Wallace has her own show now. Deadline White House. Where she says heinous shit. I mean, 18 to me was the year they went all in. We're no longer going to pretend we're going to attack Trump, Trump voters, conservatives, Southerners, pro-lifers, people who don't believe I need to throw out my car because the planet's dying tomorrow. Anybody who doesn't believe in 95 pronoun, we're attacking. We are no longer just doing segments on it, trying to you know affect opinion on subjects. No, we're going to fuck you. Out you, dox you, if you do not listen to what we're telling you. And God forbid you don't vote the way we want. And that's because of our next segment. Trump derangement syndrome. This year alone, Trump is a tyrant on MSNBC. Evil Mussolini, Trump whipping up death threats. He, Donald Trump, talked about fake media to get people booing. The booing is getting stronger by the day. Whenever he, Donald Trump, goes out there and whips people up, it's like Mussolini rally. And yes, that's what I said. When you rip your supporters to a frenzy, there are real-life consequences to that. Threats follow, often death threats. Unfortunately, that's exactly what he wants. Trump would certainly like to murder people. Michelle Goldberg, we played it on the show. U.S. on a slippery slope in Iran, thanks to Trump. That was on The View. Trump is a traitor. Trashing Trump's treason performance in Helsinki. Article 3 and Section 3 of the Constitution said the treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. So, no, President has never been charged with treason. Douglas, do you believe the President's actions fall anywhere within this definition? Don Lemon. Michelle Goldberg again, treason. Walter Isaac on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Putin weaponizing Trump. Trump's a racist. White supremacist Trump is in danger to the country, said Roots political editor on MSNBC political contributor Jason Johnson. 
Anada Garhanda said, we have a man-child who's deranged and a racist in the office. When we were running out of those, Trump turned the U.S. into Nazi Germany. Joe Scarborough said it. Mika Brzezinski said it. The legacy of Trump, traumatizing babies. Mika said it. Put Trump on trial, The Hague, for human rights violation. Sonny Hostin on The View. Trump's politics reminiscent of a Munich 1928. Steve Schmidt, that's his name. He's now a liberal. Dyson, ugly excretion of words. We got a guy, Trump, who gets up every morning and excretes the feces of his moral depravity into a nation he has turned into a psychic commode. That's what he's done. And he's a bigot in chief and a racist in residence. Look at these mendacious, relentless, lying, bigoted, ill-informed person that we have. He has the fleshy thesaurus of white supremacy reduced to one body. I was carried in the New York Times. Trump hates Puerto Ricans. Why would anyone vote for a Hispanic-hating Trump and his racist Republican Party, NPR, and AM Joy? Mika's midterm peace soup, racist, heartless, soulless. The rhetoric of his racist, heartless, soulless man will lead to more violence. He doesn't care. He's got no sense of decency, no sense of duty, and no limits. No limits of what he's capable of doing to stave off any humiliation for himself. The humiliation that his desperate action suggests is that the knowing he knows what's coming next Tuesday. If you want a slight check on this man and his unrelenting race to the finish here to make sure he can continue to destroy this country, you might want to vote all D. That was for the midterms. Hate is on the ballot. Killing black people is an old American tradition, but experience a revival in Trump era. The fact is that one side of the political spectrum is peddling hatred while the other isn't. And refusing to point that out for fear of sounding partisan is in effect leading aid and comfort to the people poisoning our politics. Yes, hate is on the ballot next week. Paul Krugman. You could never say that about Obama. None of it. You couldn't have got away with it. You would have lost your job. It's beyond TDS. But it wasn't just there. We've evolved now from ESPN and the likes, no longer giving a fuck about just sticking to sports. Joss Tucker, uh, Deadspin, If a public lifetime as a racist, misogynist, litigious, grifter, buffoon matters less to you, then the answer to the question, is that real marble, then Trump's the perfect candidate. Kyle Coster, the big lead. Tony Dungy appearing in above photo, expressing his Christian beliefs during NBC's Super Bowl broadcast on his personal time and platform is one thing. And even if I disagree with him sometimes, I appreciate his candor and willingness to open himself up for criticism. But when his beliefs seep into the analyst role, either unintentionally or otherwise, they should be checked both by NBC and the public. Michael Bennett on Democracy Now!, White people have been so comfortable with seeing immigrants taken. They've been so comfortable with seeing, you know, people being killed by the police. They've been so comfortable with victimizing and raping when it comes to the Me Too movement. Herm Edwards on US, or Harry Edwards, USA Today. You scratch your head and wonder, are they really this racist, this stupid? What's driving this? 
I think that at a very fundamental level, we are still battling the residuals of 400 years of slavery. A lot of the NFL owners think they own the players. They own the franchise. Which I pause to do a great picture given to me by my son, Zach, in Tennessee. That was said so many times this year, it's not even funny. And he handed me a meme. The picture appears to be LeBron James. The NFL is like slavery. So they have a picture of a slave with his massa. I reckon you be taking the Ferrari to the party in Malibu. You best be wearing your bling or you're getting a beaten boy. Is that the slavery we're talking about? Because all these guys are fucking millionaires? I mean, seriously? That's a thing now? It's slavery? Really? And of course, it's all from Colin Kaepernick. Here's his acceptance speech for receiving Amnesty International Ambassador of Conscious Award. Racialized oppression and dehumanization is woven into every fabric of our nation, the effect of which can be seen in the lawful lynching of black and brown people by the police and the mass incarcerations of black and brown lives in the prison industrial complex. In truth, this is an award that I share with all the countless people throughout the world combating the human rights violations of police officers and their uses of repressive and excessive force. There's like seven more I could read, but I'm not going to. That's, that was this year. Just this year. They're so crazy, you can't even get sports. And it doesn't matter to CNN that they're losing people left and right and people are just checking out. I mean, my son checks out. He's a sports fan. If the game isn't on free on fucking ESPN3, don't watch it. Which is online. And this year was also taken to TV. We had Roseanne. It was successful. The left got rid of it. Over less than what was just said on Murphy Brown. Not covering it. Talking about ICE agents and all the horrible things on Thanksgiving accident done. FBI on CBS. Amount of season occurred in the 20th. Wolf thought he'd crank out a new one. His latest FBI starts off with one of the most cliched plot episodes imaginable. Halfway through the premiere, it revealed that the terrorist mastermind behind the bombing threat, poor neighborhoods in New York, isn't the Bloods, the Crips, or MS-13, but a white supremacist. We covered that on the show. It made no sense. SVU was all political. Nobody's watching it. New Amsterdam, all political. Nobody's watching it. It's getting taken off the fucking air because it's so fucking horrible. And even the Big Bang Theory and its spinoff, Young Sheldon, managed to be funny without getting political. The creator, Chuck Lorre, often can't help himself by taking a cheap shot at Trump. And in their shows, Trump, 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 Trump. So it leads us to every analysis Every analysis is about Trump. It's all about Trump. Everything is Trump, 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 Trump. Here are some of the crazy ones that they 
they twisted in pretzels to pull off. Shut up, you religious nuts, with your thoughts and prayers. That was from Chris Matthews. Thoughts and prayers, I'm sorry. That should be outlawed. Don't read this if you just took a drink of coffee. You might spit it out. CNN, PBS, and New York Times established brands who have spent decades polishing and performing the art of objective, truthful journalism. That came from Christiana Amanpour. USA Today article, Christiana Amanpour on threats to journalism. Chick-fil-A has infiltrated. Will New York ever be the same? That was something. Is it a boy or a girl? For some parents, it doesn't matter. Many are doing away with their gender stereotypes by keeping the sex of their children a secret. They're raising babies. A new trend where you let your child assign their sex. We covered that. Happy birthday, Karl Marx. You were right. New York Times. An important voice for the New York Times. Dumbass fucking white people making up the internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. Are white people genetically predispositioned to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? Oh man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. That was all Sarah John. She got a job. Mika Brzezinski, I understand Donald Trump doesn't care, but why doesn't Pompeo care right now? Are the pathetic defections that we just heard when he appeared on Fox and Friends, is that a patriot speaking or a wannabe dictator butt boy? Trump's team of terrorists taking kids hostages. This whole administration is like Liam Neeson taking Taken movie. These guys are terrorists. Until we recognize that, we are operating with white nationalist government that will take children hostage to get what they want, even if it's just a tax cut. The Democrats and anyone else resisting doesn't really know what they're fighting. A.M. Joy, Jason Johnson. Jim Scudo. I want to ask a question to folks at home. We have kids. We don't want to be slowly burned to death on our own planet here. Is the human race running, in simplest terms, running out of time to take the measures necessary to rein in the rise of global temperatures? Do we need an emergency broadcast system for Trump? From your perch running the Washington Post, observing President Trump and having to cover the story every day, is this a form of national emergency? Are we living through a national emergency? And if so, how in the heck should journalists be covering this national emergency? Brian Seltzer. Yeah. Also, as I segue away, this year, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSDNC, they no longer had pretense of objectivities in the midterm. Here's the lib love of possible people who could beat Republicans. When I hear a statement like that, or read a statement like that from, from Barack Obama, who is, as we said, in, in an introspective and thoughtful and very wise man and a brilliant writer, and he says something like, maybe I came along 20 years too soon, my reaction to that is, what do you mean? Uh, which is to say, 
I cannot possibly fill in the paragraph that that is the first sentence of right. if it is spoken by Barack Obama because his mind is too supple, too complex, too rich compared to my own to, f to fill out what the rest of that mm. thought is. And I think he's got a really interesting thought there. And when you, when you hear him in an extended interview like he re most recently did with David Letterman, yeah. you, you yeah. understand that wherever that first line began is not it did not tell you where that answer was going to go yeah. 75 or 200 words later. Well, the question is, does she want to be demoted from queen of the universe to president of the United States? That's the only question. If she wants to do it, she can do it. Uh, she is probably the most beloved human being on Earth. She's probably the most beloved carbon-based life form on Earth. She could, she, if she runs, she will destroy anybody in front of her. The question is, does she want to do it? Um, I've talked to a lot of people who are, who are close to her, who are around her. There's basically, you know, bedlam in Oprah land right now as people, you know, <laughs> people are begging her, please run, please run, please run. Uh, but she's given no indication uh, that she has moved off of, of her position, that she doesn't want to do it. I will say that speech last night was extraordinary. That speech, she, she, she did in nine minutes what Barack Obama did in 17 minutes in 2004. She, she told her story, and she told the American story in a way that just was electrifying. Uh, if, she, she, if she decides to do this, it is going to be one of the most extraordinary runs in American history. Let me finish tonight with a strong suggestion. It's that Beto O'Rourke should run for president. I got a good look at Beto's race for Senate when we hosted the Hardball College Tour at the University of Houston. There was magic in that room like we ho when we hosted a, a hardball college tour at Westchester University up in Pennsylvania in 2008 for Senator Obama. Democrats respond to magic. I have a reason for urging a Beto wrong. I believe the election should be about the future. And to those who say Beto can't win a Senate race in Texas, let me remind you of George Herbert Walker Bush, who lost two races for the Senate in Texas. Michael Avenatti's a beast. Okay, that's true. And he, he's a beast. He's a beast, and he keeps popping Donald Trump and all of his folks in the mouth repeatedly. He's a beast. And he so uh, John Meacham says he may be the savior of the republic. He has been brilliant at ro slowly rolling out a lot of the things over a, a period of time to keep this at the top of the news. He really is a master of the media cycle in a way that I think Donald Trump probably respects on some level. I owe Michael Avenatti an apology. For the last couple of weeks, I've been saying, enough already, Michael. I've seen you everywhere. What do you have left to say? I was wrong, brother. You have a lot to say. The Democrats could learn something for you. You are messing with Trump a lot more than they are. So that was Lawrence O'Donnell basically, oh, God, I wish we had Obama. Then we went into the porn star lawyer is going to save us, which I didn't play. Then we had Pelosi was awesome. We had a whole run of, oh, my God, Oprah might run. We had the Beto O'Rourke craziness over and over and over. Over and over. It was just insane. They didn't even care. I mean, usually they support them. There was no specials on Ted Cruz. Every network ran a special on Beto O'Rourke, and they want him to run for president because they think he's John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And I think it all culminates with the press briefing. Back in the day, the press briefing wasn't anything. But for some reason, 
the resistance needed. It's a full-fledged thing, man. People live on this. So we're going to play two sound bites. One is a CNN special about how important the press briefing is. And then we're going to have some of the 10 craziest moments that is now part of the press briefing, which is so important to society. Now remember, they turned the lights off on it. That was a problem this year. They, they got to be on film. Jim Acosta has to be an activist, and God damn it, he can't do it with audio. What is it about these White House press briefings that has become must-see TV for people? To me, it's two words. Sean Spicer. CNN's chief White House correspondent, Jim Acosta, says it started on Spicer's first full day. Uh, thank you guys for coming. There's no other way to describe it. When he came out that day, the day after the inauguration, and went after us about the crowd size. Some members of the media were engaged in deliberately false reporting. He basically turned those briefings into must-see TV. And sometimes it wasn't civil either. You've got Russia, you've got, you got wiretapping, you've got... No, we don't have that. You've got Russia. If the president puts Russian salad dressing on his salad tonight, somehow that's a Russian connection. But I asked a simple question. No, simple I, answer required. You're shaking your head. No, but you want to talk about Russian salad dressing. And I thought that was trite. But you know what? You're asking me a question, and I'm going to answer it, which is the president, I'm sorry, please stop shaking your head again. There's a level of respect we're supposed to have for each other. If respect was out the window, so were the rules of engagement. The press secretary conducts business has been governed not by law, but by tradition and convention. So the convention was that first question went to the AP reporter, Associated Press. I'm glad to take some questions. Of course you can, John Roberts. There are reports that... Spicer started where he wanted. Jim Stenson. Often with conservative or non-traditional media. Until Spicer, the senior wire reporter, ended the briefings. She's combative as well, but just a little sweeter about it. It's the informal, unplanned Q&A the president prefers. But I think we're going to have a very successful... He's had more than 300 of those interactions. Quadruple the number President Obama had. Uh, any questions? Yeah. So is this president's preference for informal over formal a problem? It is a problem, and to be clear, it's not, it's not as if asking him questions will necessarily result in, in truthful, candid answers. Um, but it is important to be able, in this U.S. democracy, to question our president, and he has shielded himself from that. Formal press conferences give you a chance to ask questions at greater length. They're not on the fly. You're not shouting them. He doesn't get to control when he cuts it off the same way. Three days before Sean Spicer took the briefing room podium and attempted to alter facts. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. President Obama used the same room to remind reporters about their obligation to dig for them. You're supposed to ask me tough questions and make sure that we are accountable to the people who sent us here. It was almost like a parting lesson about the importance of the Fourth Estate, the importance of the First Amendment. The right to free speech and a free press. And if you have open rallies in communities where there are a lot of guns. Like the ones the president and his press corps attend regularly. 
and you get people all whipped up, you do not know what's going to happen next. Some people have suggested they're just a waste of time now. There's no substance to them. No, you should just get no, rid of the data. No, briefing. no, don't give up. Don't give up. Our reporters, people in the press, know anything is that you don't give up. Quiescence, complacency is the enemy of the truth. The press has evolved with every president from the fireside chat to Twitter now, so who knows what the next president will use to communicate things. But I hope the briefing room remains because it is that one chance where you can ask questions about your government. Denials that have been coming in. The real danger of what comes after. And if we establish a new norm, that truth plays second to politics, that the press briefing room is being weaponized against your opponents. I think that's going to weaken one of the basic foundations of our democracy. We've always taken for granted our democracy is sacred, it's been here forever, it's going to stay forever. Over a dozen countries since the end of the Cold War have gone from being democracies to authoritarian states. We're not there yet, but if we let these sacred traditions slip away from us, it's going to be very, very hard to rebuild. Uh, there have been some questions as part of your exam. I'm wondering if you talked to the president about this, about the president's mental fitness. He has pushed back on that, calling himself right. a staple genius. Can you assess the president's mental fitness for office? There was an incident recently where the president appeared to slur his words while giving an address. Um, did you look into what the cause of that might have been at all? Uh, could you just elaborate in layman's terms if possible, and you've been doing a great job at that, uh, uh, what you ruled out in these cognitive tests? Uh, you know, there have been reports that the president has forgotten names, that right. he's repeating himself. Are you yeah. ruling out uh, things like early onset Alzheimer's? Are you looking at dementia-like symptoms? I'm going to ask you a question that follows on the, the philosophy of, of the fitness of the president. Yes. Uh, the 25th Amendment, a lot of people in the country have been talking about it. It, it basically contemplates that a group of Senate-confirmed laymen will weigh in on whether the president's able to discharge the duties of the office. So you, as the president's position, have certainly given this some thought over right. the years that you've been in your role. Uh, on, on what basis would you, and this is just a philosophical question, advise the cabinet that the president is unable to discharge his duties. How does, how does that bar get met? Can you say, um, given the president's age, he's somewhat of a peer to where President Reagan was um, at this time in his presidency. Can you say, given that there is scrutiny of what was overlooked at the time with President Reagan in terms of Alzheimer's and things he was then known to suffer right, from right. at a later date, can you say that whether the test that you ran would exclude any of those things and what the possibility of overlooking something like that would be. You know, how can you tell the American people that this time you're certain? You examined him and performed a, a, a cognitive assessment. Right. What is your take of, of all the doctors and clinicians all across the country who have said that in this president they see symptoms of this, that, and the other? Symptoms in what way? Sir, the president said over the weekend that he could tone up his rhetoric. What, what does he mean by that? And does he have any concern at all that his words could inspire or provoke troubled people to do awful things? But he's also harshly attacked some of the very people that received those pipe bombs. And this morning, suggesting that the news media is responsible for, for the anger in the country. How, how does he do that when, in the case of the pipe bomber, this was somebody who went to Trump rallies, this is somebody who had a van covered with, uh, with, with uh, attacks on the media and praise for, for the president. Um, uh, the, the shooter in Pittsburgh is somebody who was uh, provoked, it seems, by the uh, caravan that the president spent so much time talking about. Why, why is he out there, when you say he's trying to unite the country, why is he out there 
The very fir- Jonathan, the very first thing that the president did was condemn the attacks, both in Pittsburgh and in the pipe bombs. The very first thing the media did was blame the president and make him responsible for these ridiculous uh, acts. That is outrageous that that would be the very first reaction of so many people across this country. The, I'm not finished. The only person responsible for carrying out either of these heinous acts were the individuals who carried them out. I want to go back to the tone question. The president said he was planning to tone down his rhetoric this week. But at his rallies, uh, since the suspicious packages began being mailed, the president has called out Maxine Waters by name at his rallies. He stood there as his supporters chant lock her up in reference to Hillary Clinton. He continues to call crooked Hillary Clinton. Will the president stop using that kind of language in light of the fact that these individuals were targeted by his attack? Shouldn't you reserve the term enemy for people who are actually the enemy of the United States rather than journalists? Uh, The president's not referencing all media. He's talking about uh, the growing amount of fake news that exists in the country, and the president's calling that out. May I ask a follow-up, please? May I ask a follow-up, please? Since you mentioned that, uh, the president said this morning, the fake news media, the true enemy of the people must stop the open and obvious hostility and report the news accurately and fairly. Uh, can you uh, state, uh, for the record, uh, which outlets uh, that you and the president uh, regard as uh, the enemy of the people? Uh, I'm not going to walk through a list, but I think uh, those individuals probably know who that, they are. Would that, would, that, would that include my outlet, which uh, received uh, the I, I don't, I don't think it's week. necessarily specific to a general, uh, broad generalization of a full outlet at times. I think there's individuals uh, that the president would be referencing. Yeah, Jordan. So you're not going to state, you're not going to state for the record then. Uh, I mean, if the president is going to say the fake news media are the enemy of the people, and if you're going to stand there and continue to say that there are some journalists, some news outlets in this country that uh, meet that, that characterization, uh, shouldn't you have the guts Sarah, to state which outlets, which journalists are the enemy of the people? Well, I think it's uh, irresponsible of a news organization like yours to blame responsibility of a pipe bomb that was not sent by the president, not just blame the president, but blame members of his administration uh, for those heinous acts. I think that... It was just crazy. We had the, and you heard it there, is he mentally ill? That was Hallie Jackson. She's a real reporter. Uh, but he's crazy. Liberal media embarrass themselves. Demand doctor insist he's done. That was a whole thing for a week. Acosta pushed fear. Parents are worried about teachers in the wild, wild west. We covered it. Then Sanders dumped him. Then we had April Weiner, Weiner, Ryan wonders if Sanders if Comey, Russia porn star, make Trump presidency illegitimate. Anti-Israeli White House reporter demand Israel show restraint. Blame the Palestinians. That was a grandstand. Sanders rips into the liberal media. If they want to defend MS-13, they're more than welcome to. Total meltdown on CNN journalists. Scream, fume, and freak at Sanders. We had numerous of those this year. Jim Acosta loses his mind, throws fit, new tussle with him, and then he gets kicked the fuck out and gets to come back in. That was just all the press brief this year. They're not journalists. I want you to know they're not journalists. And for any of those that, who sat through all the podcasts I did this year, which was a shit ton, twice a week for 52 weeks, about 104 of these motherfuckers, this sums up 2018. Just two podcasts ago, and our 
new social media nuggets. I did a segment about how witchcraft is the fastest growing religion there is. I also did one on how witchcraft is offended because Trump keeps calling it a witch hunt. Now, wouldn't you know, two days ago, CNN did this segment. Witches of the world have a problem with President Trump. Here's Jeannie Mose. They don't fly on broomsticks. They tend not to be bewitched. By Donald Trump. You know I call it a witch hunt. And it is a witch hunt. Modern day witches are hard to categorize. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Are you a witch? I'm a practicing witch. That's how I make my living, yes. And which kind of witch are you? Uh, I'm initiated into Wicca, which is the religious side of things. Witches tend to side with liberals. And you know what they wish President Trump would stop saying about the Mueller investigation? It's a witch hunt. That's all it is. The witch hunt, as I call it. Russian witch hunt. This is a witch hunt like nobody's ever seen before. The author of witchcraft activism calls the president's use of the term. Really disgraceful. I mean, thousands of people were executed in Europe on suspicion of witchcraft. Closer to home, there were the Salem witch trials. I saw Bridget Bishop with the devil. Nineteen supposed witches were hanged. There's a lot to be offended by by Donald Trump, and I think his use of the term witch hunt is, is very low on that list of priorities for most witches. But nevertheless, it does demonstrate his ignorance as usual. The entire thing has been a witch hunt. But if the president stopped saying witch hunt, he'd have to hunt for a new term. Tweeted someone, I guess he will have to start referring to it as a wild goose chase, but then that might offend geese. The last time witches got mixed up in politics, a losing Tea Party candidate for the Senate had to proclaim, I'm not a witch. After having said she dabbled in witchcraft in high school, if there's one demographic President Trump hasn't put a spell on, it's witches. They'd rather put a spell on him. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Genie ah! Mo, CNN. And it is a witch hunt. New York. Yes, Chuck Todd, you guys fixed it. There is no bias in the media. None. You're dead on. Because that story never would have been done by real media of the past. Tom Brokaw, Brinkley, nobody would have covered this. Anything progressive, you do. And today on your show, Chuck Todd, and I know he's not listening to this, but I wish he would once, you did a climate change show with no opposing views. No even naysayers at the end of the days are not nigh. You did that because you couldn't do a year in review. If you did a year of review, you would show how fucking petty and small you at NBC, MSNBC, CNN, PBS, CBS, ABC were this year. You were petty, simple people that did most of your news about yourself. How the president insulted you. And you have nothing to show for the Russia investigation because Mueller's little secret thing was shut down by the fucking Supreme Court. You have nothing to show there was collusion. You have nothing to show about anything. And you're continually being caught lying about the border, illegal immigrants, deaths, 
deportations, separation, kids in cages, use of CS. All this year, you were exposed as frauds. You just don't like the man, and you only report when they have an R behind their name. You're frauds. This year, I used to have a soundbite. Tony Reed was right. You're frauds. So, a music break and our last news and social media nuggets of the year with some top fives from our favorite punching bags, America's liberal colleges. Enjoy. The old year die with the fun goodbye and the hopes as high as a kite. How can I love go wrong if we start the new year right? Begin kissing the old year out, kissing the new year in. Let's watch the old year die with the fun goodbye and the hopes as high as a kite. How can our love go wrong if we start the Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. This, this is this is something, man. This is this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see two. these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Daddy's in the military now. Hey, 
the crazy zone and time for real we go. You all know that time we That was given to me by my better half, cute little kid. It's labeled the uh, next future army command sergeant major. I tell you what, that is awesome. Want to close the loop on a few things on Military Corner. Very short because we have a lot on the college. Army wants to try out next generation rifle prototypes sooner than they think. The 6.8 millimeter replacement for the SAW or the M249 squad automatic weapon will be in people's hands in April of 2019. So next year starts great. We also talked about helicopters a lot. And the vertical lift program, the new one, Bell's uh, V-28 uh, Valor, Boeing and Sikorsky are raring to catch up in 2019. On Wednesday, Sikorsky owner Lockheed Martin unveiled a first look at the SB-1 demonstrator. This is pretty amazing. It's a bigger, badder version than the S-97 Raider, which we covered a double top rotor and a propeller with a split um, tail with fins so it actually can direct. It'll fly much faster. Now these are throwbacks, really. Um, back in the day, if you go to the 101st Airborne uh, Division's museum, they have some of these out there. Uh, single rotor with the tail prop. They had used those back in the day in the 60s, I guess. They were going to be faster. But um, it'll be interesting how those close out. Uh, Mattis gave out a final... Send off, not covering it. I didn't really get into the whole Mattis thing. I don't know what happened. I'm sure Trump fired him, whatever. Um, I'm not one of those guys that thinks Mattis is the end-all, be-all. But I thought his resignation letter, a message to the troop one last time, was pretty good. Since Washington crossed Delaware on Christmas 1776, American troops have missed holidays at home to defend our experiment in democracy. To all you lads and lasses holding the line in 2018 on land, at sea, or in the air, thanks for keeping the faith. Merry Christmas and may God hold you safe. That message recorded on December 19th, the day before he tendered his resignation, shows no clear indication of the turbulent few days ahead, but it's his longer holiday one that was awesome. One, we in the United States are privileged to defend America, especially at this time of year, for we ensure our fellow Americans celebrate the season, hope and peace and safety. Number two, we know our freedoms are not guaranteed by themselves. They need defenders. Three, this month many in our military will be serving far from their loved ones. It is difficult work, but this is not nothing new since Washington Cross, blah, 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 blah. Four, to those in the field or at sea keeping watch by night this holiday season, you should recognize that you are carrying on the proud legacy of those who stood the watch in decades past in this world of wash and change. You hold the line. Five, storm clouds loom, yet because of you, your fellow citizens live safe at home. Most don't know your names, but all are confident their freedoms and their families will be kept safe. Six, far from home, you have earned the gratitude and respect of your fellow citizens, and it remains my great privilege to serve alongside you. Merry Christmas, and may God hold you safe. I liked it. That's pretty good. <clears throat> That's pretty good. And finally, we covered a lot of A-10 love because daddy like an A-10. On top of my mic is a uh, shield that actually captures sound from floating up. And there's an A-10 strapped to it. 
uh, a model. So it's my favorite. But TUS Air Force pilots have been awarded the nation's Aeronautical Association Mackey Trophy for most notorious flight, flight of 2017 and recognition for the providing close air support that saved 50 Americans and Syrian Democratic forces. On May 2nd, 2017, a Thunderbolt piloted by Major Tyler Schultz and Captain Samantha Harvey were retasked to support the group of Americans and their Syrian partners who were under fire from heavy machine guns, mortars, and RPGs. For over five hours, Captain Harvey and Major Schultz overcame communication degradation, severe thunderstorms, and near-zero visibility, ultimately saving the lives of friendly forces. And their handle was Boar 51. So, good on them. We also could not end a year without reading the names of the fallen and it's more than you know this year in reverse order on December 2nd we lost Sergeant Jason Mitchell McClary on November 27th we lost Staff Sergeant Dylan Eklund same day Sergeant First Class Eric Michael and Captain Andrew Patrick Ross November 24th Sergeant Leandro Jasso November 3rd, Major Brent Taylor. October 4th, Sergeant James Slap. September 4th, Staff Sergeant DeBonjo Sangustin. September 3rd, Command Sergeant Major Timothy Boyard, who we covered on the show. August 20th, Army Chief Warrant Officer 3, Tyler Gavin. August 12th, Sergeant First Class Raymond R. Transfiguration. July 12th, Army Sergeant First Class Christopher Celez. July 12th, Air Force Staff Sergeant James T. Grogen. July 7th, Army Corporal Joseph Massiel. June 17th, Petty Officer First Class Matthew I. Holzemer. June 8th, Army Staff Sergeant Alexander Conrad. May 24th, Army Staff Sergeant Conrad Robinson. April 30th, Army Specialist Gabriel Condi. March 30th, Master Sergeant Jonathan J. Dunbar. March 15th, Staff Sergeant Deshaun Briggs. March 15th, Staff Sergeant Carl Enos. Captain Andreas Andreas O'Keefe. Master Sergeant William Ponch. All on March 15th. So was Master Sergeant Christopher Raguso, Mark Weber, Christopher Zendietes, all died on March 15th. Sergeant First Class Matilda Maitland D. Wilson on March 9th. On February 19th, Sergeant Christina M. Schoenecker. On January 8th, Specialist Yavion S. Sullivan. And on January 1st, 2018, Army Sergeant First Class Mihail Golan. Rest in peace. God be with your family.
30 lost. <clears throat> 30 lost this year. You wouldn't know it in the media. There's no good way to segue and or college crazy, so um, no disrespect to the fallen. We're going to start with a couple of sound bites. The first one is a millennial throwing a fit because he couldn't get something at a store. And the second one is a dude dressed as a dude who thinks he's a girl losing his dude mind because somebody misgendered him. And then we have the best or the most watched college crazy section we did. I went back to the sites I get it from, and it was students hate Trump's State of the Union quotes, but they're Obamas. So we're going to listen to that, and then we get into the meat o and potatoes of the best of the worst of our college campuses for 2018. Okay, leave, here's where we're at. 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 If you sell it to me, I won't call the fucking cops and press charges on you for assault. I won't call corporate and get you fired. Just sell me the fucking product so I can leave. What do you want? Naked in a the strawberry in a fucking six milligram. Where do you see naked? Right here. This shit. Where is it? Where this. The fuck do you see right it? there. Here. Right next to that. In a six milligram. Make sure it's a six milligram so I don't have to come back. No, you're not fucking coming back to my store, homie. I'm making sure of that. Fuck out of here, dude. Oh my fuck. God bless America. Capitalism wins again. Fuck your capitalism. Fuck your fucking president. He's a racist, stupid piece of shit. You're Lord, a racist. Just ring the shit up. Stupid piece of shit. Just ring the shit up, fuck off. Fuck off. Do my bidding. Man, fuck. Get out. Sell it to me. No. No. Sell it to me. Sell it to me, punk. Call it's your job, your freedom. Sell me the shit. Fuck it, you can be. I have no, no, no. Sell it to me. Nope. Sell it to me. Fuck off. Come on, ring it up. Ring it up, and you don't ruin your life. That's where you're at right now, because you done upset me. And you should have helped him first in the first place before you threw a temper tantrum, dipshit. He's standing here waiting for you to ring him up. How fucking get is out? Help your customer. Fuck off. Fuck off. Uh, we got a business card here. We are going to be here all day. Get out. I'm cool with it. I'm recording. You got a business card for your manager or anything Fuck like no. that? I give you fucking dick. Oh, no, we're not doing credit. You're gonna give me my fucking money back. Excuse me, sir. There's a young man in here. Excuse me, it's ma'am. It is ma'am. I can call the police if you like me to. You need to settle down. You need to settle down and mind your business. Okay? Ma'am. Once again, ma'am. I said both of you. No, you said sir. Once again, it's ma'am. I actually said both of you guys. Right beforehand, you fucking said sir. Sir? Motherfucker, take it outside. If you want to call me sir again, I will show you a fucking sir. I apologize. Motherfucker. I apologize now. I need your corporate number. 
Because I'm going to talk, call them and talk about how I was misgendered several times in this store. I apologize for that. I need your- I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at John Jay College getting reactions to President Trump's State of the Union address last night. We're going to give them a few quotes from the speech and ask their reaction. Except the quotes we're giving them are actually from President Obama's State of the Union addresses. What will they have to say? Let's find out. So I have a few quotes here from the State of the Union. I want to get your feedback first. Uh, talking about ISIS saying, quote, we need to call them what they are, killers and fanatics who have to be hunted down and destroyed. What's your thought on that? Well, first of all, ISIS is fake. It's something the government made up so they can continue doing what they want to do, which is world domination. Donald Trump should, like, you know, mind his own business and, like, just focus on America because he's the president of the United States, not of the whole world. I feel like that's a very strong statement. Um, and when you say something like that, it kind of makes you, like, a target. Or if you're a threat to this country, we're going to get you for that. It's... It's just ridiculous. Next up, uh, talking about the general uh, world stage saying, quote, when you come after Americans, we come after you. It may take time, but we have long memories and our reach has no limit. What's your thought on that? Um, well, I, I don't think that's a good way of handling something. It's like he doesn't think before speaking and how, how it's going to offend a lot of people. He should be careful because there's other countries out in the world that has like, you know, like automatic weapons and, you know, nuclear bombs. I mean, he's got small hands, so I don't know about his reach, so. And, and finally talking about China saying China wants to write the rules. That would put us at a disadvantage. Why should we let that happen? We should write those rules. I wouldn't mess with China. He's over the top in general, so it's par for the course. It's like everything is out the window, like, oh, whatever he's, oh, oh, China, China, China. I guess the way that he approaches things is very aggressive, and that's not the best way to approach situations. What if I told you that all three of these quotes were actually from President Obama's State of the Unions? <laughs> um, all right. Full of shit, aren't you? <laughs> What's your thought? Are you surprised? Um... Kind of, yeah. It's actually crazy to hear that. I think there's a bias against President Trump when it comes to hearing a speech like the State of the Union. Um, yeah, I, I do think there's a bias. I guess uh, bias is really bad in general just because uh, you don't agree with it doesn't mean it's not right. I am definitely not a huge fan of him. However, I think um, you know being closed-minded is probably more dangerous than anything he could do. Some people are quick to like judge you on Donald Trump just because um, like a few things he say. But I think like if they paid into his whole presidency, like maybe they'll like have a like a better um, like you know outlook on him and a better like you know perspective in general. Because unfortunately, a lot of times what you hear is tainted by bias, and you really can't go off that. So do your own research, educate yourself. It's your duty. It's you know it's the future of the country. To the first one, you know, I, 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 wow, that's a grown man, the tranny expected, and I don't, you know, the, the sound bites that I played for College Crazy this year, which, you know, we'll go right into it, the five most viewed things on the site I get them was that the stu- students hate Trump's State of the Union, Union quotes with their Obamas, the next one was students hate Trump's State of the Union before it even happened. Students hate Trump's State of the Union pick before he was even made. Do Alexander Ocasio-Cortez supporters understand socialism? And students say no to Nobel Prize. Can't name why Obama won his. I don't think it's ignorance. I really don't. I, I really think it comes down to people are sheep. Um, when you're young, even when you're older or you're in a group of people, when groupthink starts taking over, you don't want to be different. A lot of people just don't want to. And so 
with Trump now, it's so easy to say, yeah, he's a douche. Yeah, I don't like this. Oh, man, that's horrible. He's a horrible person. Blah, 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 blah. Everybody does it. But as I've said a million times on this show, when you're in the voting booth, you don't have that peer pressure. You don't have to worry about people thinking ill of you. It's you and your ballot. That's how Trump got elected. People weren't going to tell somebody they're voting for Trump because it was a pariah. I mean, you're just going to get treated like shit with CNN doxing people and calling people out. I mean, just look at the soldier one. They were trying to get a young female soldier who any other time you tune in, they're getting raped. They're getting raped and pillaged by the sexist men in the military or girl power, believe all women or some women's cause. But they were women that supported Trump. And they went after that person and tried to make them lose their career. CNN people went after a vet starting a GoFundMe page and tried to get him doxxed and kicked off GoFundMe. People are not going to say what they feel because our media is out to get them. I mean, every network has said everybody who voted for Trump's evil. Every network has said they're racist. Every network says they're xenophobe. Every network says you're sexist if you believed Kavanaugh didn't rape a lady who couldn't remember anything and have any corroboration. That's just how they are. So, ignorance. Ignorance is what it is. Then we have the five times college canceled classes event for political reason. Number one, email show Yale professor cancel class for Kavanaugh hearing. Covered on the show. Number two, class cancel students excused for Kavanaugh accusers moment of silence. Covered on the show. University cancel classes for day of privilege programming. The third annual UAS Power of Privilege Symposium is a one-day conference-style teaching designed to give members of the UAS and Southeast Alaska communities an opportunity to come together and engage in difficult, thoughtful, and honest conversation about ways social hierarchies and identities manifest themselves in our communities. And I didn't, I didn't get that one. Wow. Holy Cross cancels class for Sensitivity Summit. And it was for the LGBTQ EIEIO cosine of four. And university play canceled after not having enough Latinx actors. We covered it. It all goes into our top five most outrageous professor statements. Yale law encourages people to hide immigrants from ICE. Greg Gonzalez. We covered it. Brooklyn College professor, Trump's immigration policy goal is to inflate body count. Trump's immigration policy is about inflating body count stats, not about removing dangerous criminals. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time without proof of citizenship on your person, any brown person will do. Georgetown University professor, white GOP senator in Kavanaugh hearing, deserved miserable deaths. It was Christine Fair. She ended up getting fired for that. It's a good deal. Minnesota State University professor, Virgin Mary didn't give consent. We covered it. And Northeast University professor and admin says, feminists have every right to hate men. And we covered it on the show. The five most anti-conservative statements and actions of 2018. Sociology professor swears at conservatives during, during class. Fuck your life. Is what he said to kids. 
OSU professor goes on anti-Republican tirade in class. 15-minute rant. Dr. Nathan Swigger can be seen openly mocking Senator Ted Cruz, Florida Senator Rubio, President Trump. It's unclear why Swigger was frustrated by 2016 primary candidates for the Republican Party nearly two years following the election. In a general election, being a racist really hurts you. You know, there are actual ethnic minorities who you know don't won't want to vote for somebody who's a white nationalist. A Republican primary, you have to overwhelmingly white voters so you can say a lot of overtly racist things. Number three, student government impeaches student for conservative views. Four, UC Berkeley group disavows own student senator because she's a Christian. And five, student governor VP faces calls to resign after political Facebook post. What was her post? Put Kansas first, not illegal aliens. The millions of dollars spent on public welfare for illegal aliens in Kansas hurt Kansas taxpayers every single day. Todd's comments were called hurtful, racist, and ignorant. And then, 2018, just like the media, we give no fucks. The five most politically biased courses, and you've heard these all. Harvard Law offering class on Trump impeachment and removal. Lawrence Tribe. SDSU offers course on removing Trump from office. Impeachment, removal, and special counsel. These all get credits for graduation, by the way. University of Illinois defends new Trump Trump Agenda course. The journalism course, Trump Agenda, the war on facts, press, and democracy focuses on the president's rhetoric against fake news, media, and the unique relationship he has with the press. University of Maine bars professors set up an anti-Kavanaugh course. We covered that. And Harvard Law course looks at ways to push back against Trump strategies. Kind of sounds like Google, which... I omitted from this. I bashed Google pretty hard this year, so I left it go. The five most outrageous campus protests of 2018. Number one, Sanctuary City College rescinds ICE career fair. Student Number two, students, faculty, stage nationwide anti-Kavanaugh president, pr- protests. Three, students protest reformed racist message of forgiveness. I don't know if I covered this one. Carleton College protested against a convocation speech given by Arno Michaels, a reformed white supremacist. The group claimed to have an issue with Michaels' message of forgiveness, being that tolerance and forgiveness is the face of harm and hatred seem to be foundational to Michaels' reformation. The college decision to invite him here sends a message that directly conflicts with the offer of students of color on campus. I don't think I covered that one. Four, socialist students protest memorial to fallen police officers. We did that one. And students protest armed police endangers many. That was the one where Evergreen College can't have weapons. It hurts my mind. Five times higher education cried white supremacy. That time some conservative students tried to buy coffee in their mega hats at Fordham. We covered that one. The professor that went full resisted her course syllabus. California State University Dominguez Hill professor Dr. Brooke Masingi included in her course syllabus. Sorry about that. I'll turn off my ringer. I don't know what the hell that's about. Um, course syllabus, an explanation that President Donald Trump won the 2016 election by appealing to hatred and bigotry. Yeah, we, we did cover that one. The white supremacist checklist. 
That was Linfield College. That's in Oregon. Reshmi Dude-Baltz published her checklist in a January Inside Higher Ed op-ed meant to help individuals deter determine whether or not they were actively supporting white supremacists. Transgressions on lists including working in a position of power in a predominantly white institution to change the white supremacist power structure within your departments, committees, and institutional decision-making. A desire to suggest stellar, mostly men, and obviously white colleagues for promotion and recognition also helps to aid white supremacy. This type of thinking lends itself to an unacceptable logic of metocracy that is built on this racist assumption that everyone has had the same access to opportunity. So that's, you know, really huge this year. We've covered a lot of the, hey, you can't hire white people. You can't retweet white people. White people bad. Four, the white supremacy event held in response to Ben Shapiro's campus visit at University of Minnesota. And then finally, the Pyramid of White Supremacy. Students at Maryland Salisbury University are required to take a course called Diversity in the Self in order to obtain an elementary education major. This year, the course employed the use of Pyramid of White Supremacy, which ranked different actions that in theory allow white supremacy to exist. In a pyramid, every brick depends upon the one below it for support. If the bricks at the bottom are removed, the whole structure comes tumbling down. Actions such as remaining apolitical, saying things like, politics doesn't affect me, and avoiding confrontation with racist family members was classified as indifference. The next level was titled minimization and included things like speaking over people of color or believing in a post-racial society. Step by step, the pyramid increased in severity from veiled racism, such as bootstrap theory of lifting oneself up by own bootstraps that's not a thing to the left to discrimination such as stop and frisk calls for violence such as cross burning until the analogy comes to close with genocide section Salisbury students were quizzed on the pyramid why can't we all just get along we're complicit in supporting the mass murders of individuals based on race this class was extremely difficult to get through if you did not think like a liberal. Instead of teaching diversity, this class taught us that being white was a bad thing, a student said. We were told that we were only privileged because we are white, and basically we did not actually work for what we have. Fucking crazy. Five wor- worst pro-life discrimination vandalism stories of 2018. One, vandals destroyed cross at Ohio campus pro-life display. Covered it. Two, college and men warned students of disturbing pro-life display. We covered that. It was at North Dakota State. It's possible this display may contain images that could be disturbing to some members of our community. This email serves to inform you that these activities will be taking place should you desire to avoid the area. What was it? Late-term abortion literature, which does have pictures. Three, Christian College bashes pro-life speech, but guy conceived by rape. We covered it. Four, vandals dismantle pro-life display at Clemson. Covered it. And a video, angry students attack pro-life display, and we played that one on the show. Late to it, Mizzou labels it a crime. This is peak 2018. To ask a girl out on a date if you're larger than her. I did not make that up. So pretty much no dating of the University of Missouri, according to a certain official, believes that a smaller woman, the vast majority of women, being asked on a date is a Title IX violation if you're a larger male because it makes the smaller woman uncomfortable. 
According to the College Fix, a dance student asked out his student instructor and as a result made her feel at risk of sexual harassment or assault strictly due to the fact that the male student who did the asking fit his biological pattern of larger sizes male, typically to female. In a motion for summary judgment filed on Christmas Eve, Jeremy Roll shared excerpts of a deposition with Mizzou officials for his federal lawsuit against a public university. They suggest that male students should avoid asking out female students at all, particularly when the male is physically larger than the female. A bit of background, Judge Brian Wimes greenlit the doctoral student lawsuit this summer, saying there was no evidence that Rolls had done anything more than make his dance fitness instructor student, Asab Rock, uncomfortable by asking her out in spring 2018. It continues, Bro did not give Rolls a firm no the first time. However, she only told him to stop making romantic advances after subsequent requests, but encouraged him to keep talking, taking classes at the recreation center. When he kept asking her or taking her class, Mizzou accused Rolls of sexually harassing other female rec center employees. Asked how Rolls uses power or authority to sexually harass Bro, a phrase widely understood to mean instructors asking out students or superiors asking out subordinates. Scrog said he used his physical size. And now they put out a communique. Wow. This year, we had problems with the LGBT community. And we covered a lot. The eight-year-old kid dancing for gay men. Understand, he was brought on Good Morning America. And he danced. Well... In line with it comes this article. Pedophiles believe they should be a part of the LGBT community. Yeah, that's a thing. Pedophiles are rebranding themselves as MAPS, or Minor Attracted Persons, in an effort to gain acceptance and be included in the LGBT community, according to several reported LGBT news sites. According to Urban Dictionary, the blanket term MAP includes infant files, people who like infants, pedophiles, pre-pubescent children, hemophiles, pubescent children, and ephiphophiles, post-pubescent children. Some maps also refer to themselves as no-maps or non-offending minor attractive person. These pedophiles seek to be part of the LGBT plus community, even going so far as to make a pride flag for Gay Pride Month. Fish a Twitter user, PSA to minors, if you see this pride flag anywhere, be warned. This flag is for MAPS, which stands for a minor attracted person. This is a flag for pedophiles. The MAP, no MAP community tries to pull at people's heartstrings by claiming that pedophiles are misunderstood, marginalized people, and that as long as their attraction to children is not acted upon, or in some cases, when they get permission from a child, that they should not be villainized. Sites such as Prevention Project claim to be aiming at helping children, posting quotes like the one below, reminiscence of testimonials of struggling gay youth under headlines like, everyone needs support. Josh was suicidal. He had been bullied by trolls on social media for most of his life for being different. The bullies were primarily people who claimed, based on their religious beliefs, that John was going to hell and deserved to die. They described how they would kill him on his Twitter page and people supported their hate. Desperate for help, John sought treatment for his shame, depression, and suicidality 
although he was scared to share about himself with a stranger. He felt desperate for help, and he had no desire to harm anyone ever. Once he shared about his attraction to children, his therapist told him, I don't treat sex offenders. Many blogs exist on Tumblr showing support for MAPS, claiming that they should be part of the LGBT community and attempt to create safe spaces for these minor attracted persons. The blog Pedophiles About Pedophiles also presents many sob stories of marginalized pedophiles in pretty pastel colors, claiming that they mean no harm and just want to be loved by everyone else uh, shown in such headlines as Why do pedophilia and pedophiles are not at risk to children? Growing up a pedophile. And how I came out as an anti-contact pedophile to the woman I love. This name change seems to follow in the liberal trend of rebranding things to be given into them more politically correct names. But it is this next step really normalizing pedophiles. This will be a thing in 2019. You watch some Buddy, talk about maps on your TV. You watch Twitter block, suspend people for persecuting maps because it's already there. As stated, huge backlash after 11-year-old boy dressed in drag promoted by media's Future of America. The mainstream media received a huge backlash for promoting 11-year-old drag king as the Future of America. 11-year-old Desmond Napoles, who goes by the stage name Desmond is Amazing, I got his age wrong, sorry, is a prepubescent boy who performs drag and participates in various LGBT rallies. Desmond appeared on Good Morning America last month wearing a wig, dress, high heels, and makeup, and the audience cheered as he performed for them. This week, CNBC aired a piece promoting Desmond as the future of America and walked him through his journey on how he got into the drag lifestyle. The vignette posted by CNBC shows Desmond was exposed to the drag lifestyle by his mother when he was just two years old. The child is seen applying makeup while wearing dresses and tutus, performing at various events. Desmond's mother, who is also his manager, says her son gets bullied online by people who accuse her of child abuse. So now other adults who are generally concerned for his child's safety and well-being are the bullies. Desmond is Amazing was dancing at a $3 bill queer nightclub. We covered it. Desmond posted the photos to his Instagram page where he has 100,000 followers. Desmond dressed up as Gwen Stefani and performed I'm Just a Girl as people gave him dollar bills. Desmond even ripped up a photo of Trump. We're there. Good morning, America. Good morning, America had him on. It's disgusting. It's not about marginalized groups. It's a fucking crime. Having sex, being sexually attracted to children is a crime and a sickness. But once again, the left has co-opted transgender, which is a mental illness, gender dysphoria, and they're making it normal. Mark my words, MAPS is next. Their whole thing is anything normal must go away 
the absurd, the fringe, what most people get uncomfortable with is what we're for. Because you God people. I believe in God. I've said it on the show. I classify myself as a Christian. I do not go to church. I don't read the Bible a lot. My wife believes there is a higher being. But she doesn't pray. So we're fringe Christians. I think we're good judges of it has dick to do with God. You're a sick fuck if you're attracted to kids. And you're a sick fuck if you let your little kid perform in front of gay men like some stripper dressed up like Gwen fucking Stefani. That's disgusting. You're disgusting. And if it was the opposite and a parent wasn't allowing their child to dress and act like a girl, it would be on your TV. What is wrong with those parents? What the fuck? But in line with this, old favorites, outdated attitudes. Can entertainment expire? This is from AP this week. They are fighting, yes, but the fight crackles with the enticing electricity that only Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn could deliver. He is storming out the door. She's throwing his golf clubs after him. The music is jaunty. He's charming, irri- irritate, charmingly irritated. Then he strides up to her, throws a fake punch in the air at her, opens his fist and shoves his palm in her face, slamming her to the ground. She looks up at him with that appears to be mild-ass aspiration. She rubs her injured neck. The rom-com musical score plays on. So begins 1940s, the Philadelphia story, with a case of domestic assault played for laughs. Eight decades later, the movie is clearly two things, uneasy to fare for a post-Me Too culture, an enduring American classic. They exist throughout society, pop culture canon, or canon, or canon, I can never say that for a From movies to TVs to music and beyond, pieces of work that have withstood time's passage, but that contains actions, words, and depictions about race, gender, and sexual orientation that we now find questionable at best. Whether it's the blackface minstrel routine from Holiday Inn, what did I say? Apu's accent in The Simpsons, bullying scenes in Rudolph, the arguably rape coercion of Baby It's Cold Outside, 16 Candles, or the simplistic, clunky gender interaction of Mr. Mom, Americans have amassed a catalog of entertainment across the decades that now raise a question of contentious but never more relevant questions. What exactly do we do with this stuff today? Do we simply discard it? Do we give it a free pass of a product of a less enlightened age? Or is there some way to both acknowledge its value yet still view it with a more critical eye? Does American entertainment ever have an expiration date? This can be fraught debate, and understandably so. I had a pause because I can't believe this is an article. Some Americans, often those who wield society power, cast popular culture as froth and unworthy of serious scrutiny. Hey, it's just entertainment. Don't overthink it. But entertainment is a byproduct of the area, and how we view ourselves and who gets to call on who, what, and who wields the paintbrushes of representation in society. And if you're never the one holding the paintbrush, how entertaining can it be? This delicate question pervades some of our cultural's most beloved work from Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn on down 
it, it is the wonderful and problematic often presented side by side. So we're watching I Love Lucy. Do we consider how belittling Ricky and most everyone else is to her? Or do we take away the fact that no matter what, she never stops trying, is never contained? And the honeymooners, do we key in on the obvious love between Ralph or Alice or the fish shaking, I'm going to knock you to the mood? And this goes on through everything we've ever watched. Their solution, though, suggests a general direction. Don't simply ban or eliminate or delete. Talk about stuff, whether formally when it's presented to the public or informally at home. And don't assume we're smarter today as you read this. Entertainment is being made that will be just a problem to our great-grandchildren. Let Molly Ringwald have the last world. word. Erasing history is a dangerous road when it comes to art. Change is essential, but so too is remembering the past. And all this transgression and barbarism, so what we may properly gauge how far we have come and how far we still need to go. Here's the deal. Do you often notice that through all of this, you never hear rap music? You never hear popular culture of African-American males From the lyrics to the booty-shaking horror videos. You never see that. I mean, I looked up a song the other day. I kept playing on a show. And it was Kanye West with a woman walking out basically naked, burning her shit in the desert. Is that okay because he's African-American? How about the little boy dancing like he's a girl? That's offensive to most Americans, but you don't lump that into baby it's cold outside or a poo. It seems like your disdain and faux outrage is only directed towards one way. Like this story. Media in hysterics over world's most racist haircut. For the sixth straight day, liberal news outlets blew the racism whistle on Thursday at a referee who ordered a black high school wrestler to cut his dreadlocks. Journalists at ABC, CBS, and NBC have pointed to the ensuing outrage on social media, always an effective barometer for determining the nation's importance of a story, as evidence that the horrific incident was caused by the referee's unbashed racism. According to the report, the referee initially directed the student to cover his hair and, after determining that the hair covering was not legal, gave him the choice of either cutting his hair or forfeiting. Footage of the traumatic trimming found its way into social media and a coalition of journalists and Twitter racism experts properly deemed it cruel and unusual punishment. There's just one problem. Such occurrences are fairly commonplace in high school wrestling. When I was a kid... I could not shave until I was 16. That was the rule in the house because girls couldn't shave their legs until they were 16. I went to a match. They made me shave. The coach escorted me with a razor. I wrestled. I got grounded for a month. It has nothing to do with this race. NFHS, National Federation of State High School Association, 2019 Rules Interpretation Booklet says the following non abrasive braided hair. The hair is in a natural state is longer than allowed by rule that it must be contained in the legal hair cover. You can't have it. But that's not what you heard on 
broadcast of World News Tonight, December 21st. NBC on the Today Show, December 27th. CBS This Morning, the same way. There was even ACLU people hyperventilating. Pictures. It went everywhere. According to the Courier Post, that same referee previously was accused of using a racial slur. They doxed the referee. Later on, Dahlgren revealed in a Thursday morning report that while his team has match scheduled for that afternoon, he would not be competing because of all this intense spotlight. Yet another hard-fought victory for social justice. Nowhere in any of this reporting did any reporter go, you know, I don't remember anybody at the fucking Olympics with fucking corn rolls. It's a rule. It's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about anything. I mean, you already got girls wrestling boys, for fuck's sake. And it's wrestling boys. And other it's knees and nerves and... You can't have fucking long hair. It's for his benefit. How many people have seen a running back get pulled down by his fucking dreadlocks? That's how the NFL handle it. Fuck it. You want to have a four-foot fucking, you know, Henry from the Titans. You want a four-feet whatever the fuck that is going on the back of your head because he's never washed that shit for like ever. And it's like a, it looks like a fucking coffee can on the back of his melon. People use it to tackle him. Hey, it's part of the uniform now. That's your choice. Get a fucking haircut or get hurt. Wrestling, that's the rules. It's wrestling. You've never seen a wrestler, and I challenge anybody to watch the college championship that'll be coming up in February that I watch every year. None of them have hair. They have short hair. I wrestled for six years. Short hair. No facial hair. I had to shave before my match. Couldn't even have stubble. They inspected nails and face. So, And then we closed 2018 on this kind of stuff. For Netflix Bird Box. Two things. I'm going to do a review. Well, I'm not going to do a review. I'll just talk about it right now. I'll probably talk about it again. First episode. Bandersnatch. You must watch. It is a you interactive fucking movie on Netflix. Blow your fucking mind. You have to make decisions and that's how the movie goes. And then there's Bird Box. And I don't think Bird Box was as bad as people say it was where it's like fucking scariest thing they ever seen. Spoiler alert. I mean, people committing suicide, but you don't know why. And you never really see why. And they see something, but who the fuck knows what they're seeing. But that's not how The Root took it. The Root... In perfect 2018, the era of Trump, since we don't have to say President Trump, Chuck Todd's the arbiter of the office of the President of the United States. Remember, that used to be a show, was always, hey, what is happening to my Washington that's all Victorian and shit? Um, They took it this way. Netflix Bird Box is really about white people don't want to see racism. 
If you haven't seen or read the viral social media discussion of Netflix thriller Bird Box, you're missing one of the greatest race allegory movies that has ever been released in the last part of 2017, 2018. It's about, or December 2018, I don't know why I said 2017. It's about how white people suddenly realize racism is, is spreading across the world and they can only escape its wrath and they refuse to acknowledge it because, wait, you think it's a monster movie? Don't be silly. One of my favorite pastimes is dissecting the themes of movies and TV shows and then theorizing what the movie or show is really about. For instance, John Boyega playing Nat Turner in Star Wars Reboot, The Force Awakens. He's a slave who leads a rebellion that eventually destroys the plantation, the Death Star, and defeats the slave master, Kylo Ren. It sounds like you're a racist. Who the fuck is this person? I don't think I got their name. No, I didn't get their name. <clears throat> They're racist. I must admit the horror isn't my favorite genre, but I try to inject some suspense into reviewing, viewing scary movies by pulling for the villain. I find it admirable how Freddy Krueger overcame obvious skin problems and dedicated himself to protecting Elm Street from gentrification. I believe Chucky is just a misunderstood little doll who can be a little boisterous at times. So when I started watching Bird Box, I was pulling for the invisible monster because I immediately recognized that the movie was a parable about white America's willingness to ignore white supremacy. I even tweeted an entire thread about it here. So you have, so if you've seen the movie or even if you haven't, please allow me to break down the subtext. And I'm not reading the rest because I don't want to ruin the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. That's 2018. So, don't have a real funny lighter fare today. I have a great segment sent to me by Matt in Oregon. It was a huge thing that happened this year. And I wanted to make sure I didn't miss it. Because it kind of goes in line with what I just ranted about. Rappers can do whatever the fuck they want because they're black. And we don't criticize black people because we're all white and we're evil. And we're all racist. But we pick apart movies from 1930. And call that the problem for me too. Okay. <clears throat> and he sent me a good piece. What Kendrick Lamar's reveals about the N word. Enjoy. Within the genre of hip hop, Kendrick Lamar is an undisputed titan. His hit album, To Pimp a Butterfly, touched on many themes of social inequity, police brutality, and professional ascendance. His wildly successful album, Damn, continued that tradition, which positioned him as one of the most celebrated, conscious artists of modern music. To summarize his worldview, in an interview with The Guardian, he says, These are issues that if you come from that environment, it's inevitable to speak on. It's already in your blood because I am Trayvon Martin. You know, I'm all of these kids. His fundamental vision of America as a country mired in racist biases inspires much of the messaging in his music. But because he's a rapper, this means that his lyrics are frequently laced with the word forbidden to all who don't share his complexion, nigga. Incidentally, Kendrick has scores of white fans. Occasionally this means they'll utter the forbidden word themselves, most likely quoting him directly. Hypothetically, it'd be rather silly to hold them accountable for this, pretending that the people in question were acting with racism in their hearts. Ridiculous as that may be, it's exactly the path Kendrick took when inviting a white fan on stage to recite the lyrics to his track, Mad City. Mad City features the word a total of 15 times, most often punctuated with, my nigga. 
brings to mind the Kanye West track All Day, which faced similar controversy for its chorus, also being punctuated by a similar phrase. All day, nigga. How long you niggas bob, bob. All day, nigga. How much time you spent at the mall? All day, nigga. How many runners did you get on car? All day, nigga. During Kanye's live performance, it was repeatedly censored by ITV, which was rightly seen as a little silly. Even where the speaker is themselves a member of that group, controversy is sure to follow. Kendrick's naive white fan recited his lyrics exactly as he wrote them. When she got to that part, Kendrick capitalized on the controversy the word inherently provokes. Evidently, he was overwhelmed by frustration that a fan of his would read the lyrics as he wrote them. In retaliation, she was booed and berated by an irate audience in a hip-hop rendition of Orwell's Two Minutes of Hate. Mostly suspect is the integrity of Kendrick's motivation behind embarrassing his fan in front of an audience like this. Being the rap icon with an entire arena of fawning fans, there's no question as to whose favor the power balance is tipped in. There's good reason to suspect that Kendrick knew full well there was a possibility that she wasn't going to go silent the moment the most pronounced word in his track appeared. It doesn't seem all that unfair then to ask the question, did Kendrick set her up to prop himself up as a devoted activist for social justice? His politics of injustice are well known and documented in his music. Maybe his offense was authentic, but we must ask the question of whether or not it's justified in the first place. We live in a popular culture that is either completely unable or unwilling to distinguish intent from speech itself. We don't take into account context, motivation, or the nature of the speaker themselves when they say something controversial, and this fact is no better represented by the word nigga. An artist who understands the importance of context is Schoolboy Q, who encouraged fans to read his lyrics as they were intended to be heard. I'm not telling you to go say nigga after this, but this is a rap show and I want y'all to participate. At a concert, much of the enjoyment comes from sharing in the experience and breaking down barriers. If there's an unspoken wall put between well-meaning fans, it removes those benefits. Cultural exchange is a good thing, acknowledged as much by Schoolboy Q. In the same way, rapper G Herbo states this explicitly. I know for a fact that people will be at my show saying nigga. There's no way around it. Why people don't mean any harm when they're doing that. Some of those people really embrace our culture. Clearly, the reality of the word is much different now than it was decades ago. Much of the outrage surrounding it stems from its history of denigration and outright racism. But we also live in a time where it's championed in nearly every successful rap track, a genre whose listeners are as diverse as the artists themselves. Thanks to music like Mad City and All Day, the non-black kids who repeat it musically are repeating it with a tone of veneration, not vitriol or hatred. They likely haven't seen it used with a hateful connotation outside of movies. It simply hasn't been a part of our cultural experience. The partially intended outcome of this reinvention of the word is that its dated and racist implications aren't taken as seriously, so that it's sapped of that incisive power. The most frequent counter you'll hear is that it is a word that belongs to black people, or their word, for the exact reason that they've taken the power back from it. But this line of reasoning is simply self-defeating. If it isn't allowed to be redefined to mean something lighthearted, musical, and fun, it's not as though racists aren't going to use it. In the end, it's charged with the meaning you want to take from it. When Kendrick and others treat their fans, who clearly value them for their creative talent and contributions, as racists, they blur the distinction between actual racists and those who obviously aren't. 
It's not productive, and though it gives you a sense of moral superiority and indignation, it doesn't mend racial tensions, it inflames them. Music and shared cultural enjoyment should build inroads to a common cause and identity. But the language policing, like the kind Lamar and others promote, breeds animosity and exclusion. We shouldn't strive to live in a society of gaslit-induced insanity, where we pretend words themselves define a person or carry a one-dimensional meaning. As adults, we know full well how important it is to suss out the nuances of language. Burning well-meaning people at the pyre of tolerance undermines the stated aims of equality. Then again, it's equally important to separate someone's stated aims and what their actions produce. And if Kendrick and his ideological allies are constantly seeking out reasons to be outraged, it could be that that's what they want, the instant release of rage and a target it can be heaped upon. Even better when that rage can be outsourced to a mindless mob of fans who pounce on command and totally lack the ability to reason their way out of their primal instincts, especially when it's distributed among all of them. In the end, Kendrick's play to publicly tar and feather a fan backfired in a society increasingly skeptical of language policing and manufactured injustice. But we should be mindful of the word's history and universally accept that it shouldn't be used with hatred. We should also realize that words and their meanings evolve, oftentimes for the better.